Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kia ora, good morning and welcome to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast here on SENZ. It is four past six and uh, Kempi, I know you were quick catching up with a bunch of mates last night. Mate, how are you feeling? Oh yeah, no, feeling a, a little bit dusty on it. No, it was good to catch up with them to be honest, Rick. Um... Sort of hung out with these boys for quite a while, surfing oh, for years, and uh, haven't seen them over um, the last couple of years. Obviously, COVID, COVID put a bit of a, a dampener on things, and then. Uh, but every year we catch up at Christmas time just to to say hello and and chew the fat on what's going on. And um, yeah, the old boys they're uh, they're still out there, they're still doing it and uh, enjoying life. One of them actually, I forgot the name of the skateboarders. Rick, but there was a skateboard crew back here in the seventies. You know when they out at uh, Rainbow's Park, Rainbow's Park, a uh, Rainbow's End. Yeah, used to be a skateboard um, right. park, and he was one of the boys that that went around there. They did a TV program on um, way back, way back then. So, geez, I'm talking late seventies, early eighties. Um, uh, Ed and yeah, it was just you know he's still out there on a skateboard, still out there on a surfboard. It's bloody. Awesome to catch up with them, to be honest. Yeah, nice, mate. Nice. Oh, well, it's good. It's a good, good way to, uh, to 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 celebrate Hump Day like yesterday. You yeah, know, in the middle of the week. Middle of the week. Yeah, now you're on the downhill slide. or on Thursday. Yeah, I know. We're just about heading heading into the the weekend. Just wondering how my mate Izzy is doing over in, in Brisbane. There, putting his uh, his travel show. Talked to him yesterday actually because he's chasing um, Beaver for a contact down there. The Chiefs have got some friends coming over. Who work in a school in, in China bringing a couple of sports teams over and they want to go down and and check out the Chiefs. Um, so so had a little bit of a interaction with Izzy yesterday, but it must be busy because it's like you know send him a text at six o'clock in the morning, and get an answer back at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, just full noise, eh? Just he's he's yeah. Him and Beaver are obviously enjoying the um, the food, the the sun, the surf of. Uh, of Brisbane and what what it's got to offer out there. I think Great Barrier was the last place I saw. Oh, okay, because yeah, they've been interior as well, right? They've been away, they've been like I know they talked about. They had to catch a train. The train journey was twenty four hours inland, and you're still in Queensland. Well, I think they got the worst of it out of the way first, right? You know, because they ain't on no trains now. It's all helicopters and and private jets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for those two as they, as they're travelling around the the top end of uh, of Australia, but it looks nice. Honestly, they're in they're in wetsuits and um, snorkeling and just enjoying enjoying what Queensland has to offer. So it's actually probably one of the um, one of the things I'm not um, you know I am looking forward to watching. You know that they they've gone over there, sort of you know a couple of footballers and seen what what Queensland has to offer. Queensland's a nice nice joint. I actually lived there for a while. When I played for the Crushers back in '94, oh, I think that was 1994, um, and I'd been up there and played a couple of times, obviously against Brisbane and the Gold Coast. But I went up there and lived up there for uh, three months, and it's actually a really nice spot, Brisbane. Beautiful, warm. Um, that was the old Lang Park those days before they they turned it into Suncourt Stadium, and um, yeah, Queensland. Close to the coast, like hour away from the Gold Coast. Mm. If you go further north, you're in, you know, 
the the sunshine really coast. nice hot sunshine coast. So yeah. it'd be it'd be interesting to see how these two enjoyed it over, over there. As he's probably lost fifty kilos, I reckon. I was going to say it'd be different from the French trip because I reckon in the French trip they should have done a scales challenge at the end of every week because <laughs> all they did was sit on their bums and eat food. Uh, this time sounds like they're doing a, a hell of a lot of running around and constantly and uh, you know active. So constipated with all that bread that they eat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I oh. remember as he saying when he got back from the France trip, like he just he'd had enough of baguettes and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever think you're going to say that? Well, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind a good baguette. Um, I don't know about you, but a good uh, baguette with a bit of cheese yeah, and mate, ham on it. Exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I never, th- I, I can't ever imagine saying I've had enough of that. I, me- I remember um, being over there, though, up in the, I think we played in the Gold Coast one year, and a guy came down, he was one of the players' managers, and he bought down king prawns from, oh, yeah. from um, far north Queensland. He bought a chilli bin, and honestly, the team couldn't finish it. Really? And you think a team of footballers would finish a chilli bin of, of king prawns? I would have thought so, The yeah. king prawns were the size of your phone. Wow. Yep. So you had like half a dozen of them, you're full, you know? Um, but yeah, seafood over there in Australia, that's one of the things I do miss about that place is, you know, beautiful, fresh seafood all the time. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to either Melbourne or Sydney, make sure you go to the fish markets. I, you know, I'm allergic to seafood, so it sounds like the yeah. worst idea ever. Oh God! Okay, well you don't know what you're missing out on. But if you well, do, I do, but if you do it's, love it's seafood, throwing up a lot. That's <laughs> what I'm missing out on. <laughs> but you can go there, like in in Sydney and Melbourne, and you can you can get a like a a fish and chip packet of um, prawns and just sit there and eat them on a, on you know one of the um, the tables outside with a little bit of sauce or or whatever sounds you like. like a great a weight loss lemon. program. Yeah. For me. Um, now, we, you keep your texts coming through at double eight double three. want to hear from you. We've just got one this morning from Mark. And he said, morning, boys. Just a message for Cam. Pick your game up, please. Now, Cam yesterday sent us through. Remember, we talked to Paul Whitey about it. Yeah. Um, he had a two-place bet on uh, in Invercargill. He said, multi these up. The Iberian in uh, in in the uh, third race. Now, the Iberian ran third last, 7.6 lengths back. Um, so that <laughs> didn't happen, and then in race four, suggested that we back uh, Bellano. That ran seven and a half lengths back, and didn't uh, didn't bother the top. A couple four. of place bets too, and you hate that when you're backing places and they actually place second last. But hey, you know, just when you thought, Mark, uh, that Cam uh, was uh, having an absolute shocker on the tips, Paul Mawadi yesterday. Tipped in, in, in race one, a horse called V12. And you guys were convincing. Like, yeah. I heard the two you talk about it. I was like, all right, I'm going to jump on this. It was paying sevens. So I was like, I'll jump on this. V12 run dead last, 23 lengths behind the winner. Didn't, yeah, the carbs didn't kick in. Something like, didn't kick in. The carburetors in. Weren't, weren't, weren't firing on the V12. He was only on a, a four-cylinder. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, somebody made some money in Invercargill yesterday because the uh, the horse that went, won race three, David Moss, was paying $20.50 to win, and the horse that uh, won race four, uh, Mike Carroll, was paying seventeen ten. Did say Did say if you're going to go to Invercargill, you know, gamble responsibly. Um, R18 down there because, mate, hard to pick hard to pick a card uh, down in, in Vicargo. Actually, we've got a good chat today, Rick, coming up, ready to run sales out at um, Karaka are going on at the moment. So we're going to talk to a, uh, 
one of the one of the guys out there, Kane, who's working. I think it's just sixteen million on the first day, and uh, and tomorrow we're going to get Alan Sherrick on because races in Taranaki. We'll be able to we'll be able to start your weekend off well. It'll okay. give us it'll give us something down there. All right, all right. Looking forward to those. Looking forward to those. Let's get into this round one. Fight. Yesterday, all the Super Rugby teams releasing new jerseys. So they've, they've moved away from Adidas and they've gone to Classic, which is traditionally like a rugby league brand. Is it's an Australian company? I think Classic. Um, you got yep, a favourite? You got a favourite jersey? What you saw yesterday? Yeah, I have, and you'll probably be really surprised, but I like the Highlanders jersey mm. out of all of them. I think the Highlanders have, you know, they're taking the collar away. Um, it looks like a really nice fit, but when you look at it, it actually looks like a Melbourne jersey. Yeah, right. You know, it looks like a, a Melbourne Storm type um, fit, you know, which I think you know, they need a bit of Melbourne style down there in, in Highlander country. Um, and they started right with the, with the right jersey. But all the jerseys are different. Like Canterbury's jersey, Auckland's jersey, they all look... Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the, I mean, not, not that I'm a Crusaders fan, but mm. the Crusaders, they've taken a lot of the black out of the home jersey and it's just more red. More red, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a massive fan of it. I'll tell you what, and I know I'm, you know, born and bred in blues country, but the picture of Carlos wearing the new blues jersey, and they've gone back to, you remember... When would it have been? It would have been the mid-90s, mid-late 90s, and the Blues jersey had those sort of like uh, maroon wedges for sort of North Harbour across the collar. They've brought those back, so it's kind of a bit of a throwback jersey. I quite like that. I yeah. thought that looked quite good. Yeah, it, it sort of does look like a 95 jumper, you know, with the diamonds on the mm. on the shoulders and a lot of blue and white. So yeah. you're sort of stuck between, is it Auckland, you know, what type of jersey is it? But it looks like they've tried to incorporate all the years of Super Rugby and that. I'm really surprised that Carlos is the one who's modelling it. Well, I'm not. No. I mean, I looked at it and went, wow, that looks good. And then I went, yeah, but it is on Carlos. He makes most things look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. With a fitting with a fitting jersey, he's still a good nick um, as our mate Carlos. But, yeah, the diamonds, the the white on the top, uh, it, it's sort of, it's like confusing for me. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I like Auckland blue. Right, and that's, then you're done. That's it. Your yep. blue, if you're, if you're wearing Auckland, stick traditional, stick to the blue. Um, when you're starting throwing all these other colours around, I just think you get confused because it's got the red across the top and those diamonds. It's obviously North Shore, in it? Yeah. That's the North Shore colour. Yeah, I, I sort of... I'm the North Harbour colour, yeah. North Harbour colour. I, I, I sort of can't buy into it. All right. I, actually, I did. I'll tell you the one that I probably liked the most out of all of them is the Hurricanes Away. The Hurricanes okay. change jersey because it's all black. Yeah. But it's got a big swirl of a hurricane sort of over the heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks really good. looks really good. But let us know what you think, uh, your favourite uh, jersey from that release yesterday for the new Super Rugby jerseys. All right, let's crack on. Round two. Now, Fozzie and Joe Schmidt look like they're linking up with French club Montpellier, who are really struggling in the French top 14 at the moment. Um, given what we know about... Uh, their methods um, and what we've seen with the All Blacks in the free, in the World Cup in France recently. Do you reckon they can be successful? Can they at, at club level where it's a little bit different? Can they turn Montpellier around? Well, I, I don't think can they be successful. I think they can be successful. I think they're two very good coaches. I just don't think that when you when you're talking about coaches in their sixties going over to Montpellier to to work together is a reality. You know what I mean? Like Joe Smith doesn't need to go and sit on Fozzie's coattails. You know, he's been to Ireland, um, he's come back and he's he done wonders with the All Blacks, just about got them that win uh, at a World Cup. And then say, right, 
uh, be part of my team and come to Montpellier. He'd probably sit. He'd probably sit on his own at another club as a as a head coach. Um, the the real interesting one about this Rick is whether or not Fozzie wants to go back to club football. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, it, uh, it sounds like it's a done deal. I'm just looking at through this uh, Montpellier squad to see who's in there, thinking maybe there's a spine of Kiwis, but outside of George Bridge, it doesn't look like there are too many. Oh, Ben Lamb is there as well. Um, and there are a few, uh, I think, a few Pacific players. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It certainly doesn't score. It's not, like, packed full of Kiwis like I thought it might be. No, and, and like, he's done that. You know what I mean? Like, if you're thinking about where you take your career from here, from All Black coach back to Montpellier and the French um, Union, yeah, it's probably a big backward step. You know, I, I would think that Fozzie's next step would be into obviously an international team somewhere, so he could go, you know, from Japan to to the north of England, any in any of those teams, or even the Lions. But well, the Lions go, is one that I thought he to might to go pick. back to club football. And then you're sort of taking a massive step backwards on a on a regular basis to prove yourself. Then where does he go from? So let's say he f- he doesn't have success there, he's not going to pick up another international job. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it depends. You know, there are tier two nations that would probably look at him. But I was going to say when you said it's a massive step backwards, I reckon there might be an extra O on the end of the of the of the check that he was getting from uh, NZR though to go and coach top fourteen rugby in France. Yeah. <sighs> Does he need it? Well, probably not. Well, how long has he been in the coaching game for? Uh, well, how old is he now? In his early 60s, probably 30-odd years. That's right. So, you know, and, and he'd be getting paid well as the all-black coach. You know, to to say I'm going to go back to club rugby and coach um, for salary, is, is that what he wants? You know, like, he's just come out of probably the, well, in statistical terms, the second-best team in the world the All Blacks, and he wants to go down and coach Montpellier, that had a basket case, just sack their coaches, they've just mm. employed a, another uh, director of football, they bring Fozzie and he fails, probably sack him as well. You know, it's a, it's a massive decision. It's a risk, it's a risk. Massive risk. Yeah, alright. Round three. Now, this came to my attention yesterday, obviously we've been talking about this new Auckland A-League franchise a lot, and Bill Foley. And a friend of mine who I've played, I played football with for years and years and years, he messaged me and he said, how do you feel about the owner of this new Auckland A-League franchise being a Trump supporter? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he donated $400,000 US to the Trump presidential campaign. Now, and that got me thinking. It did make me go, hmm, for a little bit, you know, what's his moral compass like uh, if, if he's making those kind of decisions? Um as a player, Kempi, and even as a coach, uh, as a as a, a fan, I should say, where were you on that? I mean, if if a club came in to sign you, and the owner was somebody that was, I guess, slightly controversial in, in some of the th- you know things that they thought, things that they said, did that bother you? Did that make you think twice about whether you'd sign, or were you just looking at the contract and the team? That's a really good question. You know, like if you look at. Um owners these days and what they stand for and who they support. Um, I think players are more aware in in 2023 than they were in 1993. Mm. You know, like in 1993, professionalism was just coming out of um, their em- embryonic state. You know, we were, just, we were just starting to grow. But 
when you look at 2023, I think now when you're looking at owners and and what they stand for and, and whether or not uh, your moral compass sits within the values of that person, I think I think players do make a decision whether or not they want to go there. And um, that's a really good good dis- uh, good discussion. The the Trumpism and all that sort of stuff, like politics is always a, a polar- polarising conversation, isn't it, Rick? You know, me and you have plenty of that discussion mm. here. But I think when you're when you're signing contracts and you're if you're representative of a what I know now as opposed to what I knew then, yeah. and you're representing something, you probably make a decision back then if if the values of the owner didn't sit with your own. You'd go right. I wouldn't. I won't go there. Um, but back in 1993, mate, we never thought of stuff like that. Yeah, it didn't didn't occur. I, I mean, because I'm just Not thinking about all. stuff like you know. Uh, you know there are fans of Newcastle United in England because of the Saudis taking over. Yeah, and what the Saudi they, they've walked away from the club because they can't support it anymore. You know that's fandom, so it's slightly different. Well, Australian Netball's a prime example. Mm. You know, so Australian Netball with the Reinhardt, they, they they throw them. You know, they're struggling. They're in in debt. Um, all of a sudden, a billionaire comes in and offers them a way out, and then a a, a lady that plays for them says. Your money stands for for such a significant part of what I don't stand for, and and basically they had to pull out, you know. So I just think when you when you're looking at stuff like that, if if you were were in that arena today, as a as a player, yeah. you would actually consider it. You would go, well, no, I'd actually don't want to be a part of that. It doesn't sit right with me. But back in the nineties, mate, we were just happy to get paid. Yeah, right. A whole different. Whole different generation, to- totally different. Yeah, all right. Yeah, your thoughts on that? Double eight, double three is the temper bed post text machine. We're going to have some news for you coming a little in a little while. We've got another uh, two truths, one lie coming your way shortly as well. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mo- Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. 0800 150 that's how you get hold of us, uh, our Temper Bed Post text machine, double eight double three. Uh, temper and Bed Post range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. A few texts through, Barry's given us an early one for Kempe's kicker. Uh, Kempe, a draw in the Tottenham Aston Villa game this weekend is paying three dollars seventy five. What do you reckon? Right, it's a good bet. Yep. Yeah. So you're our soccer man, and Barry's been on fire. Like the last two weeks, he's picked winners. So um, he gave us a top four pick again yesterday as well. I don't know how that went. Uh, I'm sure you'll let us know, Barry, whether or not that got up. But yep, it's uh, Tottenham versus Aston Villa at three dollars seventy five. Don't forget Kempe's kicker today. So get your bets in. Yeah, yeah let, let us know. We'll choose a couple of bets, put them on. If the bet comes in, then we split the money with you. Now, uh, this text has come in from Paul in Harwater. He said, morning team, my take on Ian Foster is he's going to go into Montpellier for the lifestyle and the money. He's coached top level for many years, and now he can coach in the south of France. He doesn't need to coach an international side to keep proving himself. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that. well, that's it really, isn't it, Paul? You know, like, do... Do I go to the south of France, uproot my family, coach, take the money, eat the baguettes, drink the red wine, and uh, just sit back and, and relax? Part of me says that Ian Foster wants a little bit more than that. You reckon? Yeah. I think, Ian, I think, I think 
taking the Lions on a tour, beating the All Blacks and and stuff like that is probably a, a hell of a lot more enticing than sitting on a on a on a chair in in the south of France eating eating and drinking red wine. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think he wants to still be at the top of his game. So it's interesting. The the, the part that gets me, Rick, is him and Joe Smith together. I don't I don't see that. You don't? Nah, not at all. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like Joe Schmidt wasn't part of his original team, right? And then they brought him in, and it felt like that Foster was doing the media and Schmidt was doing the coaching. Yeah, yeah. And and the other part of that too is Joe Schmidt ain't he doesn't need to hang on the back of anyone's coattails. You know, with the All Blacks, that's a structure. Yeah, in a structural um, position that he was holding on to, he he in his own right could go and coach Montpellier. Yeah, hundred percent he could. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just Joe's very uh, been reticent, especially in New Zealand, to do much media. So I wonder if he likes the back seat, so he doesn't have to do all that stuff. Well, yeah, that's that's the other side. But you can mm-hmm. you can still do. Let's put a bit of a Wayne Bennett syndrome in it. Yeah, like Wayne Bennett's like that with the media anyway. He's been in it for sixty years, and like he, yeah. he treats the media like fish and chip paper. Yeah, you know what you're going to get with Wayne Bennett, and it's not much. No, <laughs> not much at all from a media standpoint. All right, six twenty nine. Two truths, one lie. We have a big prize pack for you, uh, thanks to Chemist Warehouse and Balance. This is to celebrate the Chemist Warehouse Black Friday sale. We've got a Balance Protein Prize Pack valued at over 150 bucks to give away, thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance. I will go first. The, the idea is we all, all three of us tell a bit of a story, and one of them is a lie. You've got to figure out which one is the lie and text us on that on double eight double three. I played, when I was about 16, I'd played football my whole life. And then I started playing league for the school. And then I, I decided that... You're a halfback. Mate, I was a, I was a winger or a fullback, um, believe it or not. But anyway, I ended up uh, going, you know what? So I, a year later, I ditched club football and went and played rugby league for the Howard Cornets, the mighty Howard Cornets, uh, and played alongside... Uh, Future Kiwi, future warrior, Jerry Siu Siu. Well, you you sh- you should have been a warrior then. Fullback, running off the the uh, the slips of uh, Jerry Siu. I'll go next. Um, well, before I started throwing them at uh, X Checkers and Candios for Nicky Mills <laughs> on the doors, I used to warm my fingers up um, playing marbles when I was at school, and I'm actually uh, Taranaki Marbles champ. Um, through really? the ages really? of six to thirteen. Wow. Okay. Mm. And I had bucket loads of them. I bet you did. I mean, how many kids are you up against? Uh, every school. Every school that used to come used to go right. I want to face uh, the marble champ, and he used yep. to go out there in the drains, and uh, yeah, take pencil cases full of marbles off him. How many marbles do you have at the end of that? Oh, uh, pencil like pencil cases enough to fill a trailer. Wow, I was that good. That, that is crazy. All right, uh, and Robbie. Stories are always so random. I love it. Um, my story today, <laughs> this morning is. Um, when I, when I was young, I once went headfirst into a cabinet um, and split, <laughs> split my forehead open, had to get nine stitches, and now I've got a nice Harry Potter-like scar on my forehead. Ah, right. You have too. Yeah, yeah, you have. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know how you deal with all us muggles uh, day in, day out. Robbie? Nice. Right, I'm turning my mic off. <laughs> double eight, double three. Who's telling the lie? Who is telling the pork pie uh, that... Uh, $150 balance protein pack could be all yours. Let's get away to the latest in news and sport now with Araha. Thanks to Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. 
It's 26 away from 7 o'clock. Flight Centre's Big Red Sale is on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now and save big. Here's some sports news headlines for you. And uh, the Michael Maguire uh, saga seems to have come to an end. It's been reported Has it? Has it? that he's going to stay as Kiwis coach. He presented to a board meeting yesterday, apparently, looking back on the Pacific Champs when they beat the Kangaroos 30-0. It's reported that the NZRL board have decided Maguire will remain as the head coach of the Kiwis and will be allowed to coach the New South Wales Blues. Former Kiwis had voiced concerns that Maguire wouldn't be able to juggle both roles and also deemed his involvement in State of Origin a benefit to the Kangaroos. Have you seen the New Zealand Rugby League board? No. Okay. Well, I just want to say they have no idea. Right. Uh, it says here the, the uh, NZRL board decided against sacking while the playing group also backed the former Tigers coach. Well, of course they would. Yeah. That's And, and good on them too, you know, like... Um, Players are, are mercenaries. I, I, I've got to say that because I've been one of those. Um, and they're not really looking at the bigger picture of what we're talking about. Because it's not about Michael Maguire. It's about structurally whether or not we can get the game back into a, a decent sort of state here in New Zealand. Um, and, and the people that are making, like, of course they're going to make that type of decision. You know, I, was, I said that, Rick. You know, the, for, for the people that are sitting on the board, it's all about, you know, Cucumber sandwiches and and cups of teas with with NRL superstars and and a coach of the caliber of, of Michael Maguire. It's not about going getting down and dirty and going back to grassroots and and actually fixing the problem in the game. Good on Michael Maguire if he can if he can hold the game. I will say it here right now. He cannot do both jobs. Okay, all right. So Can't be on I record. don't care whether they say he's on and he's he's going to keep the job or not. If he gets a New South Wales job, he will hand in his resignation to the Kiwi job. Yeah, well, that's because that's the other thing is, do New South Wales want him to do both jobs? And given the... It, the, doesn't, the, care, it doesn't matter about amateur little New Zealand rugby league, you know what I mean? If New South Wales give him the job, they will say you cannot do both. Yeah, you think that'll be def- definitely? 100%. Yeah, okay, there you go. Uh, your thoughts on that, double eight, double three. Tiger Woods, speaking of Tigers, Tiger Woods and his son Charlie are going to team up again at the PNC Championship to be held in Orlando next month. It'll be the fourth time they've played together at the event at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Club. The pair finished tied for second at the 2021 tournament. Their appearance at the PNC Championship will follow the 15-time major winner returning to action for the first time since the Masters uh, at next week's Hero World Challenge. Woods' competitive appearances have been limited after his car accident in 2021. He's not played since withdrawing from the Masters midway through the third round due to plantar fasciitis. He subsequently has undergone surgery on his right ankle and foot and recently declared he's pain-free ahead of confirmation he's going to play in that 20-player Hero World Challenge at Albany in the Bahamas. So Tiger is back. Uh, The Highlanders are also back. They are back in Queenstown. They've announced that they're going to play a pre-season match there against Moana Pacifica on Friday the 2nd of February. Uh, Now get the sponsor, Bailey's have come to the party. And they have opened the gates for all primary and intermediate school age children. So under 13s, they get to go to the game for free. And the game will take place at the Queenstown Events Centre. It'll kick off, should be a great weekend actually, because it's the day before the Gibston Valley Concert, uh, which is the following day. So Mm. it'll be a great weekend in Queenstown. 
Well, it's always a great weekend in Queenstown. You don't That's need an true. excuse to go there. That is true. That is true, Kempi. There you go. Those are some sports news headlines uh, for you. And uh, you're plenty to get your, your teeth stuck into as well. Um, there's uh, plenty of uh, a text coming through. Uh, Joe talking about our... I don't think Joe can decide. I think he thinks we're all lying. He said, a trailer load of marbles, eh, Uncle? Must have been the only kid in Taranaki. As Kempe has been a surf <laughs> champion, athletics champion, rugby champion, football champion, netball champion, manu champion, boil-up eating champion. Sure, hell of a CV, Uncle. Maybe you're losing your marbles. Marbles. And Rip Dog is a winger? I've heard it all now. <laughs> oh, it's a good, it's a, actually a good, it's a good show, the old... Uh, two truths and one lie. Um, who is it? Who is it? Double eight, double three. Let us know because uh, yeah, you could call yourself that uh, balanced protein pack with over a hundred and fifty bucks. I'm, Joe, I'm Joe this, can't make his mind up. I'm going to read this one for you, Rick, because this ma- this really makes me laugh. And this is this is people reading BS in the press. Kempe, you're just bitter with your mates f- for that you're not that they're not getting the job. Build a bridge, mate. He's the best man for the job and has proven that. That's from Mike. Mike. Stop reading the press because the press is BS. I don't even know where that story's come from. We actually we actually talked about that, me and Rick, two weeks ago. Yeah, as a conversation, the Aussies have picked it up and gone. Oh, there's a there's a bunch of Kiwi ex Kiwi boys that are saying it. I haven't spoken to anyone. I've spoken to Rick Dog. Yeah, we've done it on here on the radio. <laughs> yeah, so. and, and once again, uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate this, and and this isn't me blowing smoke up Kempe's backside, but what Kempe is saying is that. Michael Maguire can't do both jobs and do both jobs to the full extent that he should be able to and that he has a clash of uh, priorities if he's coaching New South Wales because that feeds into the kangaroo, so he can't do both jobs. That is the main issue. Yeah, it, it's actually... The the Aussies have actually done us a massive favour by putting this out there, Rick, because if you read the way that the Aussies have actually asked for comments, it's, it's basically around that... Um, the conflict of interest. That's what it's called. It's a conflict of interest. If you are coaching New South Wales, your pathway is to an Australian jersey. Yeah? Yep. So you can't be coaching New South Wales. And and this is always a problem with a coach in a national position. If you're a coach in a national position and you coach at NRL club, where do you think you're going to try and get those international players to go to? Your club. Your club. It's, it's, it's a given. So this whole thing... Look, I don't care if it's Michael Maguire or if it's if it's Harry Potter. The conflict of interest is about can they do the best for our kids in New Zealand that need to wear this black jersey? And given the landscape being that you need to retain their hearts and Tonga, Samoa, the Cook Islands, Fiji are doing it better than we are and Australia got tailed up by 30 points, it's... It's a no-brainer. You, we need to actually get down and dirty and get our coaches working in New Zealand to make sure that we can retain them hearts. So um, I just don't think, you know, whether it's Madge Maguire, Daniel Anderson or, or whoever, uh, as an Australian coach, if you're coaching NRL New South Wales, you can't do that job for New Zealand. And this, this is where this board, so-called New Zealand Rugby League board, don't get it because they don't invest in the community. So this, que- this question is much bigger than the Kiwi coach. Yeah? Yep. It's about the game, and the game needs people in it in this country to help our game, because our game is severely broken. 18 away from 7 o'clock. Keep your texts coming through. Double eight, double three. Love racing up next. Yeah, 6.47. We're talking about the Kiwi coach and all sorts here on Breakfast This Morning. Find a thoroughbred race state events.loveracing.nz. And we're talking to... 
to a good friend of the show, and uh, Kane is joining us from out at Karaka because the ready to runs are out there. Kane, sixteen million—is that what they're talking about on the first day that uh, these horses are bringing in? You must be must be pretty happy about that. Yeah, morning, Kempi. It's a, a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, you're right, uh, just over sixteen million uh, aggregate on day one, which is is quite phenomenal. It was it's up about five million on, on day one uh, last year, and, and about. Or more than six uh, the previous year, so uh, quite phenomenal start to the sale. Um, we went in sort of cautiously optimistic and a little bit reserved, uh, knowing the economy is a little bit uh, a little bit rough at the moment. Um, but uh, gee, our expectations were well exceeded yesterday. Yeah, just to put people's um, minds in the game, this is where. Uh, Mr. Brightside came from, wasn't it? So you can actually go out there, pick up a a, a, a horse, thinking, well, maybe you can run for me, and then end up with some something like Mr. Brightside. Yeah, absolutely. We we often talk about the uh, the yelling sale at Karaka in, in January. Uh, but these horses are just a little bit older; they're two year olds, and they've been broken and, and educated and uh, and uh, filmed uh, galloping up the straight at Tirapa about a month ago. Uh, so you can see how they gallop along and. Uh, they're just a bit closer to racing, so as the name suggests, they're ready to run. You could um, you can take them to the races uh, reasonably soon. So uh, horses like Mr Brightside, who's just been a phenomenal horse over the last few seasons and had an amazing season uh, um, spring again. Um, but horses like Golden 60 and, and Lucky Swainess up in Hong Kong, they're superstars. They both came out of this sale. And uh, even horses like Asterix, who won the New Zealand Derby, and Dunkel, who won... South Australian Derby, they're, they're all graduates of this sale, so it's quite a, quite a long list of successful graduates. Yeah, you've got plenty of Hong Kong and Australian boys there too, Kane. Um, what's it like for a, for a New Zealander there trying to trying to pick up the best slots? So Lucky Swinness, of course, got a, is it a full brother in the in the sales for the ready runs? Uh, yesterday there was a half-brother by contributor. Um, it was uh, bred by a good mate of yours and Alan Sherrick, a good Taranaki man like we are. Um, but yeah, he made uh, 550,000. Uh, we thought he would be uh, sold to Hong Kong. That's what we expected. But Hong Kong were the underbidders, and, and Lucky Swainess's trainer, Manfred Man, he was actually the underbidder. But uh, the horse was purchased by Richard Lamming uh, over in Queensland, so he'll he'll be over to to uh, Australia to do his further racing. And he was just a, a, a big, strong colt who bruised up well, and is obviously very, very well related. So he sold well, but. Um, but you alluded to the big, um, the big buying bench from Hong Kong. We've got about 15 trainers, which is virtually all of them down here, and a lot of permit holders and owners as well. So a really big contingent from uh, from Hong Kong at the sale. Kane, Kane, just just tell us, like you, you've been walking around, you've you've seen all these these foreign buyers coming in. Um, you've got the the way that our two year olds, our three year olds have been going over the last couple of years. Is there been a a, a bit of excitement around uh, New Zealand horses from the overseas buyers? Oh, absolutely. Well, there has been for, for so long. Our, our breed is just so well respected, um, just in terms of soundness and durability and and, uh, and talent, of course. But I think the way these horses are prepared by the, the horsewomen and, uh, and men in New Zealand, uh, they're all just second to none, these preparers. So they do a great job in educating them and presenting them at the sale. Um and, and that's why people love and love to come to the sale and buy these horses. And obviously the results speak for themselves. The New Zealand bred horses and, and Kadaka sold horses have just had a phenomenal um, couple of years. Last year was, was amazing and this year's uh, season has started uh, just as well, I think. 
Well, I can't let you go without giving us a winner for the weekend, Kane. You've got these got new Plymouth races coming up, but obviously races on the weekend. What's the talk of the town? You've got the Australians and the and the and the people from uh, Hong Kong there. Who's who's picking who to win on the weekend? Oh, gee, you've really put me on the spot, Kempi. All I've, I've had the blinkers on for this uh, focus on this sale, so I don't even know what's racing. Um, you mentioned your Plymouth. I'd just say back anything that has the. Uh, the Alan Sherrick polish on it, so that would be my <laughs> tip for the weekend. 550k, it's his shout. That's Kane Jones joining us out at the Ready to Runs from Karaka. If you've got a chance, get out there. It's a beautiful spot. Kane, thanks for joining us this morning for Love Racing. Grab your mates, get on course, visit events.loveracing.nz to find a race day near you. And uh, we have got plenty more coming up. Uh, it is also Kempi's kicker today with the TAB as well. We've got a $50 bonus bet to get uh, to get on. And we're looking for some options. So double eight, double three, test us through your options for Kempi's kicker today. We'll start uh, compiling those and, and weeding them out, Kempi, and trying to find a decent bet. It is three away, or sorry, not, it's seven away from seven o'clock here on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. We're a couple of minutes away from 7 o'clock and we are looking for options for Kempi's kicker today as well. Make sure you get those through double eight, double three. Uh, Barry has texted us about his tip from yesterday. <laughs> he said it's still running, boys. So sorry about that. Don't worry, Baz. It was, uh, it was a quite a few tips that came out yesterday that were still running. Um, but I'm pretty sure you know, if you uh, throw a couple in here today, Baz, you would you were like two out of three, not bad. Yeah. Over the last couple of tips. Well, Brad has texted through. Uh, Jalen Brown, Anthony Edwards and LeBron James all to score 25-plus points at $6.50. Do you reckon, do you reckon LeBron James can, can actually score 25 points these days? Oh, yeah, he did it yesterday. Yeah. So he had a big game yesterday. Uh, let me actually just see if I've got the story still up because I was reading this before we came on here. Now I've got rid of it. But, yeah, he brought up his on oh, some massive uh, m- massive uh, milestone of, of points scored in the NBA. So, no, he's uh, he's capable. It's just whether or not he can keep that level right throughout the season. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That, he, that should have been more about the, the – that should have been more the question is can he continually score 25 points a game? Plus, yeah, no, probably not. No. No. I mean, So you're, pick, you're, picking, you're picking maybe this weekend he can. Yeah, well, this is today. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's on a heater at the moment. He's looking in pretty good form. Back isn't to he? back. Isn't he, Robbie? He's looking in pretty good form, LeBron. Uh, only scored 17 yesterday. Oh, was it 17 yesterday? There you there go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Kempe, you know what you're talking about. Who knew? Who knew? Um, <laughs> I was getting confused because I'd done two stories, uh, which are going to be in the news at 7.30. You're getting, one you're of them getting is, confused with two lies and one truth. I am. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton from the Pacers scored 37 yesterday. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. But keep yeah, your nah. text coming through, uh, Brad. I do like that one at $6.50. It pays well as well. We do have Kempe's kicker uh, coming up uh, throughout the show. We'll, we'll continue to put those bets together until we come up with a couple that we like and we will invest. And hopefully they will come in and you can get paid. Uh, coming up after 7 o'clock, Dan and Mose is going to talk to us uh, about uh, well-being and, and, the, and the space that he is working on. And up after the news, Guy Cotter. This bloke has done it all. Uh, his life reads like a boy's own annual. We'll catch up with him after the latest news from Araha, thanks to Kubota. Kia ora, good morning. Welcome into Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. That is four minutes past seven o'clock on your Thursday morning. It is also tradies hour. With night and day, you can start your morning with a hell of a coffee from just $4.50 
at your local night and day. Coming up this hour, Guy Cotter is going to join us. We're going to talk his new book and talk about his experience of the mountains climbing, uh, not just Everest, but I think there's 14 peaks over 8,000 metres high in the world. He's climbed half of them. Um, so we'll get him and talk about his book. We'll also uh, talk to Daniel Amosa about the uh, wellbeing space that he is working in. Uh, after 8 o'clock, Annalie Longo, the uh, football fern and Wellington Phoenix player, joins us. The Phoenix have got a double header Saturday at Go Media Stadium Mount Smart. We'll get her take on how the season's progressing under Paul Temple. We'll catch up with Paulie Mawadi as well. And hear from Nick Becker, who is the new CEO of the Auckland uh, A-League franchise. Aces, arrows. Arrows, something. Because it's <laughs> going to begin with A. Uh, it's going to be, we're, we're, we're completely, uh, completely sure of that. But uh, let's get to this. Caring for our communities. Out of the gym and off the park. Working just as hard paying it forward to our next generation. This is More Than An Athlete with Izzy and Kempe. Brought to you by Tremaine Real Estate. Bringing people and property together in our communities. Joining us now to talk about not just his book, but also his uh, life lifestyle is uh, Guy Cotter, a Kiwi mountaineer, mountain guide, and a man that helps the adventures of other people come true as well. Guy, good morning to you. Yeah, good good morning. Hope, uh, hope it's all going well up there. Yeah, it's all going well here, mate. Uh, uh, you've got a new book out, Everest Mountain Guide, The Remarkable Story of a Kiwi Mountaineer. Um, I mean... I know a little bit about your story, Guy, but when did you first fall in love with mountaineering? When did you first look at something that was far, far, far closer to the sun than you were and go, I want to get to the top of that? Well, it probably all started when I was real young, going tramping with my family down in Fiordland and looking up out of the valleys at the peaks around and and, uh, building up a desire over time to go there. And when I was actually quite young, living in Christchurch, I'd go to Arthur's Pass on the weekends and and go and climb hills all around there and, and, and little mountains and go tramping. And, and that just progressed to uh, rock climbing, mountaineering, uh, guide qualification, and then later in life being able to work all around the world. So it's, it's been a, an amazing um, lifestyle for me. It has been. I mean, you, I, I said in the, in the, in the lead-in here, there are 14 peaks over 8,000 metres in the world and you have climbed half of them. Um, how did that transition happen for you, where you went from, hey, this is something I enjoy doing, to this is something I can do for a living? In uh, 1992, I went to Everest for the first time with Rob Hall and Gary Ball. I had done a couple of trips to the Himalayas prior to that, but not climbed one of the 8,000-metre peaks. So when uh, Hall and Ball and their company events and consultants started guiding on Mount Everest, uh, it was like right at the forefront of that industry starting. So I was lucky enough to be invited along as the third guide to work with them. Uh, climbed Everest in 92, and I've, I've now climbed Everest five times. Uh, and other years, instead of going to Everest, uh, I've had groups of people to take to other 8,000-metre peaks. So um, I'm very lucky because I've got a group of clients who are just interested in going off on these amazing expeditions. Uh, we cook something up, come up with an idea, a peak or a place in the Antarctic or whatever, uh, and then I go through the process along with my uh, staff and my company to organise and put those trips together. So we go as a collective uh, with other guides who work with us, uh, go to every continent on Earth every year, uh, climbing the highest peak on every continent. So that's called the Seven Summits, but we also do 
uh, you know, the, the 8,000 metre peaks. Guy, Guy, what's it what's it like like for for someone that doesn't really quite understand when you put it together in meters? It looks so simple, but what's it like? Because it, it, when you when you're starting to go to altitude, there's all sorts of, um, I, I, I guess, challenges, isn't there? There is. There's lots of physiological challenges just dealing with the thin atmosphere, and we use uh, bottled oxygen up very high, but you've still got to acclimatise your body uh, up to about 7,500 metres. And that takes a period of time of, of adjustment by going high, then coming back down to rest. And when you do go to high altitude, your body is really affected uh, through the lack of oxygen. You, know, so, um, you lose your appetite, you can't sleep, some people, you, know, you can't eat. Mm. Uh, it's really, really uncomfortable. But by going and immersing yourself in it, going up to a high camp, sleeping overnight or staying overnight and then come back down to rest. Your body recovers, you build more red blood cells. Next time you go up, you feel much better at that elevation and then you go and do it again up to another elevation until you're ready to, or well enough acclimatized to then go to the summit, maybe with the use of bottled oxygen. Uh, it's, it's really quite you know out there as an activity. I mean, you're really pushing the boundaries mm. of what's possible. Humans weren't supposed to be living up above 8,000 meters. You know, your body actually shuts down and dies if you spend any time there. But the whole process of an expedition is awesome. It's got a beginning and a middle and an end. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's a real challenge, and your your whole mindset has to be fully immersed to be there. Uh, and that's what makes it so exciting. Like watching the sun come up when you're very high on Everest and you're looking down on, on everything on Earth is, is quite the sensation. Mm. How special is it then with the Sherpas that actually live over there that uh, that help you out with all this sort of stuff? When you're talking about it being a challenge for, for a, a typical per- person like myself, how special is it to see them people up there just go about it as a, as a daily routine? Yes, well, working with the Sherpas has always been a, a part of the joy that um, I've had from working in the Himalayas on on Everest, especially, uh, just because, as you say, you know they they live up at high altitude. They are adapted to you know, high altitude and they perform very well. They're a lot of them are amazing athletes. Um, but when you get very very high uh, above eight thousand meters, uh, you know often the differences between us uh, disappear, and and we're all. Um, you know, operating at about the same standard, or those of us who are, um, you know, who have been in the mountains all their lives. Uh, so it's really good to work alongside them. They're very, very humble and very talented. And you know, we've I've got lifelong friends from uh, our Sherpa team, and everybody loves going over there. The treks that we operate in Nepal, you know, for people who aren't mountaineers coming to Everest Base Camp, uh, or you know, putting their foot in the high altitude uh, water for the first time and climbing some of the lower peaks, 6,000 metres or so, uh, often doing that with the Sherpas. And, uh, you know, they're great, um, you know, they're great uh, team members, very strong and uh, also uh, fun to be with for a, a long expedition. Hemingway once said, there are only three sports, bullfighting, motor racing and mountaineering. Everything else is a game. Um I think uh, you you probably can attest to that more than most, mate. Uh, you talked about going to Everest '92 with Hall and Ball, uh, and then it was, you know within four years they were both dead, died on mountains. How did you reconcile that and be able to carry on? 
Yeah, that was a, certainly a challenging time, losing um, Gary in 1993 and Rob in 1996. Uh, you know, but I can reconcile it because they were both uh, doing it because they wanted to be there. It's very different from you know uh, the tragedies where you know life has taken. It's very different when people are committed to the environment and you know and unfortunately uh, succumb to it. But uh, you know mountaineering is a, a dangerous activity and the you know the results of of getting it wrong are obviously you know fatal so and that's always been a part of mountaineering and it's the thing that when you go on an expedition it's it's like going to a to a battle of sorts you really have to recognize that you're in a super dangerous position that anything you do wrong may mean that that you can die and my approach has always just been to um be extremely cautious but if you're too cautious, you'd never actually get up a mountain. Yeah. Uh, if you're mm. not cautious enough, you're going to get in trouble. So uh, you've got to find that fine line and, if you like, strike when the iron's hot, wait till everything is um, aligned correctly and the condition of the mountain, the condition of the people, and everything is uh, appropriate for uh, going onto the mountain. And I think that is one of the things that makes mountaineering uh, a very real activity because of the high consequence of getting it wrong. And you must always acknowledge that every time you go into the mountains. It doesn't mean it matter whether you're someone like myself who's done heaps of mountaineering. Even going onto a small mountain, you've got to show it the amount of respect that it deserves because anything can go wrong at any time if you let it. Yeah, Guy Cotter joining us here talking about climbing um Mount Everest of all places, guy. The, the story that you you tell at the at you know just when you when you're coming across, it's so like this is what you need to do. But when you when you're actually there, how challenging is it when you've got people at altitude that sort of lose their minds and you're trying to keep them on the straight and narrow? Do, do you, have you had some really hairy inc- um, instances up there? Yes, certainly had some hairy instances. Uh, just about every expedition, there's another hairy incident or or, or many. Uh, it's all part of operating in that environment where you're right on the edge. Mm. Uh, as a guide, when you're looking after other people, the mindset is really about um, in, you know watching and monitoring everybody and, and ensuring that everybody is uh, appropriately uh, prepared physically, mentally and everything. And And you know, when things do go wrong, you've, you've got to have some sort of plan. And that's been the way that we've always operated is, uh, you know, if things go wrong, you've, you've already in your mind worked out what you're going to do. So I like to say that I operate in a state of constant paranoia. <laughs> um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. What it really means is that I'm always thinking about everything that could possibly go wrong, then what I could do about it. And that way you're not surprised so much when things do go wrong. You see the writing on the wall and then you anticipate it and you already have a plan in your head. So it's a it's just an ongoing process and as a guide you're up there looking after other people and, and you've little thought for yourself really. So as a guide you've got to be so much more onto it. We're taking people up Everest to go home and they write books about it and they go on the speaking circuit and they never mention us because we're the ones <laughs> who have uh, actually helped get up there. But uh, that's that's just part of the the process, and um, you know that's that's enabled you know myself and and other guides who work with us to uh, go and do these amazing adventures around the world. 
I remember a few years back, uh, well, quite a few years back now, Sir Ed Hillary coming out and criticising uh, people like Hall and Ball, particularly, uh, for commercialising Everest, and he he, he was against it. Um, do you think that it has been handled in the right way by most people in your profession, and that, that the respect is shown to the not just the people but to the mountain? Yeah, well, I think Sir Ed, you know, had a really good point. He sort of saw the the death of adventure. I think is is what was going on in his mind, and I, mm. I totally get that. You know, as a mountaineer, I mean, a mountaineer as well as a guide. Um, and sort of as he was pointing out, you know, people just pay to go and sort of um, stand in line, sort of thing is is uh, is what he saw happening. And but at the same time, mountaineering was always commercial. Uh, you know, all of those early expeditions, they all relied on a, on a lot of funding, and some of that was public funding, and and um, some of it was, you know, national teams were all supported by either governments or corporations or sponsors or whatever. All we did was change it so that individuals can get to go to Everest, and prior to that, you had to be on a national team. Uh, so we kind of took the elitism out of it so that um, any qualified person could go to Everest. And I think what we're seeing uh, pictures of now is, is a, a lot of people on the mountain. And and part of the problem is that uh, a lot of these operators who are out there, many of them now Nepalese operators, are just accepting anybody on, onto their expedition and, and not requiring them to have climbed other appropriate mountains, stepping stones to get there. And by um, shortcutting that process, uh, it's it's crowding the mountain. And, and uh, I think you know, we've always seen this, this issue, whether it was in Western operators and now Nepalese operators who are uh, just trying to um, get the financial advantages they can. Um, and I can understand it in Nepal, you know, having this tourism opportunity of Mount Everest in the backyard a lot of them want to make the best of it, uh, but I do think it could be managed um, a bit better uh, by just having you know higher standards for who can come to the mountain mm. and also higher standards for who's operating on the mountain, who's running expeditions. Guy, uh, Guy but, let's talk about sorry. that because you know everyone's seen the the Netflix um, programs and and the challenges that they have up there on. On Everest, well, like you're talking about the '90s when you you first started going there, uh, up until today. What's it like up there? So you you know, where does like the the con, the concern and the um, for not just the environment but for the the people in in a whole come from if it just becomes a tourist destination? Well, that's a that's a philosophical question. Um, because, I mean, it already is a tourist destination, you know, Nepal and, and Mount Everest to go to the base of it, trek to Everest Base Camp is a tourist destination, um, you know, guiding people on, on the high peak um, to the summit is, if you like, high-altitude tourism. Um, that, But that's been going on all around the world for, for many, many years. And looking at the positive sides of it, um, is the safety standards since we've had professional mountain guides going on to the mountain has made Everest uh, the, probably the safest of the 8,000 metre peaks. And that's because prior to us turning up, every expedition that arrived on the mountain uh, with, as a national team or whatever, 
um, they often had not very experienced leaders. And they didn't have very cohesive teams, and and a lot of bad mistakes were made that were avoidable. Now you've got uh, you know professional um, managers, uh, mountain guides, you know Sherpa managers who have been there year after year after year, uh, and and we've got better quality um, of safety equipment all the way up the mountain, ropes and ladders and so on. So the upside of it is that we've made it a lot safer so that it is doable. You're not sort of throwing people, um, you know, into hazard's way uh, as much. And so I think you've got to find a fine line between over-loving the mountain and uh, neglecting it. And I know there are some people who say, I'll leave the mountain alone. Mm. You know, I can understand that. Uh, but at the same time, tourism is very important for Nepal. They don't have much in the way of foreign income and expeditions and trekking really has helped that country a lot and uh, they're going to keep encouraging that. So it's more about how do we make it better. And I've always kept trying to encourage uh, better standards, uh, more qualifications for the, for the guides on the mountain. And I think that's the sort of approach. Uh, over the last few years, uh, the Chinese have closed the mountain through Tibet on the north side, so that's meant that it's a lot busier on the Nepal side. Uh, but now that is open again, and from next season there will be climbers on the north side, so it will reduce the number of people climbing from Nepal by about a third. As far as how you manage it when you're on the mountain, like my approach is I just let all of those people who are in a hurry to get back to the office to go to the summit and then go home and then we're off and climbing the mountain you know, a week or so later with no one else on the mountain. So it's, uh, it's all about how you approach it. Guy, you've got your book, uh, Everest Mountain Guide, The Remarkable Story of a Kiwi Mountaineer. It is out now. Um, I, I guess the question is, I mean, Gary uh, used to say to me, you know, there's, there's not too many old mountaineers around, uh, but I, I, I don't know if you, you class yourself as an old mountaineer just yet, but I know your dad at 80, Ed, he, he managed to trek to Everest Base Camp, so uh, there's hope for all of us. Uh, wh- why, was, uh, why did you decide now was the time for the book? Well, I did have a couple of years off. Um, that was COVID. Hmm. <laughs> so I had a bit of time uh, to actually put it all together. I've been writing diaries uh, of all my expeditions and never really done anything with it. So when uh, COVID came along, I thought, right, what, what I'll do is I'll um, turn this into a book. And I worked with uh, Robbie Burton, uh, Burton Potton Publishing in, in Nelson, uh, who was very supportive with helping me put it together. And he's um, made a beautiful publication. Uh, and the book covers my life, I suppose, from when I started climbing through uh, my Everest campaigns, uh, including, you know, the, the highlights uh, and also the, the low points. So um, it's an exploration of what's happened over the last three decades on the mountain. There's been a lot of changes from those of us who went there first, obviously with with uh, Rob and Gary through to uh, the present day. A lot has changed on the mountain and, and, the, and the book um, explores that. And in the final chapter, I summarise some thoughts on... Uh, on where it's all at and, and where it might go, uh, you know, and I see a positive uh, future for the place. And, um, you know, the, uh, the the listener just put it in the uh, top 100 uh, books for the year, which wow. was, um, which is great. So anybody who's out there looking for Christmas presents, look no further, just go and buy the, uh, the book Everest Mountain Guide and, and, and you're done. 
Yeah, you're done indeed. Well, congratulations on making the top 100 books, Guy. Uh, uh, I've had a good read, and it is, it is a great read. I, I really enjoyed it, mate. So thanks for putting it together, and uh, congratulations on the book again, and and uh, enjoy your, your summer. Hopefully you get a bit of downtime, put your feet up, and enjoy the book's success, eh? Oh, I'm off to Antarctica next week, so uh, <laughs> I won't have much down to rest. No, <laughs> no, you won't be working on your tan stand. either, though, will you? No, I don't. Well, my face will get tanned, and that'll be about it. <laughs> cheers, Guy. Yeah, cheers. Guy Cotter there with us, uh, the author of Everest Mountain Guide, The Remarkable Story of a Kiwi Mountaineer, and it is a damn good read. Uh, if you like adventure stories... I can listen stories. to that all day. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know. I mean, he, he's... Um, He's done what only so many people only ever dream of doing, yeah. and he's and he's turned it into a job. Yeah, and and just watching those programs, how tough! Mm. What a job! Like putting your not only your own life at risk, but looking after everyone as well. Like you've got you've got their lot their lives in your hands as a guide making decisions on the go. Hence the question: like, how tough is it when you get up there losing altitude, people losing their marbles? Mm. And you and you're making decisions to save lives. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know. I mean, and I know he talked about. Um, and you've been up there. Well, I haven't been up to Everest. I we, I went to Dalagiri Base Camp, which is about eighteen and a half thousand feet up, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, that, and, and you know, and that was tough. And you know. Ball and Hall, it's your that's your uncle. Yeah, yeah, Gary Ball's my uncle. It's my dad's younger brother. Um, and so when we went to Dalagiri, it was to retrieve his body because he died on Dalagiri. And they buried well, him. Well, they didn't bury him. They just lowered him down a crevasse, basically, is mm. how they buried him. And then the Dalagiri base camp is on a slow-moving glacier. And the glacier pushed his body out about 10 years later, and these Argentinian climbers found it. And um, well, uh, So, yeah, oh, sorry, some French environmentalists found it. And then some Argentinian climbers, when we went there, they had flagged exactly where it was, and we went and put him in a body bag and reburied him over there. Um, it's because you wanted to stay on the mountain, so yeah, yeah. But I mean, like we went, and it was we got told go to sp- go in spring. It's the best time of year to go. Uh, so we went in spring. Get their heaviest snowfalls they've had for forty odd years in spring. <laughs> of so, course. And then, and then because you know if you go to Everest Base Camp or you do the Annapurna Circuit, they're very well travelled. So they basically have pathways for you to follow. Yeah. And then we got to you know we landed in Kathmandu, talked to the guiding. Uh, company that we were using, the Sherpas and the Sardar and that, and they're like, oh, no, there's no pathways because no one goes to Dulligiri except climbers. So it's not a tourist destination. So we had that compounded with the heaviest snowfalls they'd had in 40-odd years with you have now, to, what, you, you have to make your, your own path. Go, what did your body go through? I reckon I lost about 15 kilos in 12 days. Wow. Uh, something like that. And and that was because, you know, Guy talked about some of the effects of altitude. Yeah. I couldn't eat. So you you know, Jeez, you, I'd find that tough. Well, I would. You would expect me to find that tough too, right? But it affected me in a way that so they'd make you porridge and things like that in the morning, and I'd have like two spoons of porridge, and it felt like I'd eaten a roast and gone back for seconds. Is I, that right? I, I just felt like, and I couldn't physically eat any more; otherwise, I'd be ill. That's how it felt. And so, yeah, I I lived on orange and lemon tea. And, yeah, we trekked through. Yeah, I mean, I may have even lost more. I don't know. I didn't weigh myself before I went and when I come back, but I certainly lost a heap. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. and what, what do you what do you remember most about the challenge? Like, did did your mind go to a space where it was like, man, I can't do, I can't do this? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's like, you know, I brought up that Hemingway quote. Yeah. Um, because Rob Hall and Gary, Gary, my uncle, whenever they used to go out to a, uh, an expedition overseas, they would come and stay with mum and dad for a couple of days as they were getting ready in Auckland. And so you, know, you get to 
sort of sit down and have a chat. And Rob Hall was the one that made me aware of that quote. And he said, you know, he said, the thing is, if you're halfway up there or halfway down the mountain or whatever it is, and you've had enough, you can't signal to the bench for a sub. No. There's no one, no one can get you out of it but you. So it's all on you. Everything and, and is on you. Hence a lot of those those climbers that when they do die up on those mountains, they're just sitting on the track. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like even in Guy's book, uh, there's a chapter that I read uh, where they went and uh, he, he took his partner and some friends and they climbed uh, Lutzi, which is, I think, the fourth highest. And yeah, the, on the way to the summit, you go through past this rocky outcropping where the ropes were. And as he was leading the way, and he gets round the rocky outcropping, and there's a dead body sitting there in climbing gear, all red, uh, with back against the rock, looking up at the sky, and just there. But yeah. you know, nothing to be done about it. So That's right. Halfway up the mountain. Halfway up the mountain, and you know, it was Rob and Gary had a, a a thing where they agreed that if one of them passed away on the mountain, they'd leave them on the mountain. Yeah. So and that's what they they both stayed on the mountains. I mean, Rob's still on Everest. Yeah. You know, so anyway, it is 7.29 here on SENZ. Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Great to chat to Guy Cotter about his book, Everest Guide. Uh, Definitely well worth having a look at. Brought to you by Tremaine Real Estate, bringing people and property together in our communities. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. 24 away from 8 Kennards High makes your job easy. Kennards.co.nz. Let's check on some sports news headlines in the NBA yesterday. Tyrese Halliburton scored 37 points and 16 assists. Buddy Heald hit a tie-breaking three-pointer in the final minute as the Indiana Pacers beat the Atlanta Hawks. Get this, Kempe. 157 to 152 <laughs> uh, to clinch a spot in the NBA in-season tournament quarterfinals. Just the seventh regulation game in the history of the league to feature both teams scoring at least 150 points. And when, the pa- when did they hit 200? Well, I, I, that's, 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 uh, that's the question, eh? That's a long way away, I think. Yeah. If, well, if, we're talking about the breakers hitting 60. Yeah, if it's, it's only happened seven times that both teams have scored 150 in a regulation game. Uh, the pace is 157 is actually a franchise record. They've never scored more than that in a game, so they, they set the franchise record yesterday. Uh, the Lakers also are uh, in Las Vegas. They beat the Utah Jazz 131-99. to They topped their group. They are 4-0. They've also beaten the Suns, the Grizzlies, the Trailblazers uh, to top Group A and get into that in-season tournament. Transgender women have been barred from women's international cricket under new regulations from the International Cricket Council. After a nine-month consultation process, the ICC has decreed any player who has gone through male puberty is ineligible to play international women's cricket regardless of treatment taken to transition. The changes to the gender eligibility regulations resulted from an extensive consultation process that is founded in science and aligned with the core principles developed during the review said Chief Executive Jeff Allardyce, inclusivity is incredibly important to us as a sport, but our priority was to protect the integrity of the international mm. women's game and the safety Where of the players. Where do you stand on that? It, I think it, ver- it depends on the sport. Like I saw there was a sport the other, uh, what was it? It was a pool championship, and there was a transgender player in the final, and the woman that the transgender player was supposed to play walked off and refused to play. Mm. Now, for me, I, I think... It's pull, right? It's there's no physical contact, but I think if you play a game where there is uh, where the physicality comes into it, like say MMA or rugby or rugby league, 
then I think it's a massive advantage. Then to, you're going to get then you're going to get a hiding transgender woman. Yeah. Mate, look, like call it as it is. Of course, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're going to get smacked up. Like talk about it. Like from because it's massive in the states at the moment. Yeah, you've got transgenders in the ath- athletics programs that go through the states, and girls that are running times that are quite good for girls, and then trans transgenders coming in and running men's times and just absolutely wiping the floor. Same's happening in the swimming program over in the US yeah. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, look I, I, I have to agree. Like, it should be, like, black and white. Like, yep. that, that's, a, that's a woman's competition. It should be, always remain a woman's competition. Yep. Oh, yeah, I, I get you. I get you. I, I was just trying to say, you know, does it make that much difference in a game like pool or a game like darts versus, a, you know, something that's more physical? Uh, well, I would I would argue mentally mentally it probably probably does. Okay, all right. We'll we'll we'll, we'll pick up that conversation later on. Uh, how's this though for tight uh, for uh, for tough? Green Bay Packers tight end Luke Musgrave has been branded as tough as they come by his coach Matt Lafleur. Musgrave played through a lacerated kidney that required a trip to the hospital after the win against the Chargers. Sounds like a thicker Paliasina. Yeah, he's home resting and has been monitored. NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport reported he's not going to travel and play against uh, Detroit on Thanksgiving. His status is going to be determined going forward. Uh, going forward, he avoided surgery, thankfully. But that yeah. is tough. He played. Apparently, he walked off the field. They didn't know there was anything wrong with him. And then he had a chat to the, one of the assistants. And said, "Oh." I think I've done something. There's a there's a, a YouTube sh- cl- um, shot of a fit of Paliasina. Yeah, when he played for the Warriors, scored a try against Newcastle. He goes through four blokes, like goes through them. Yeah, he um, he ended up he ruptured his spleen doing it. Oof. Ended up in hospital that night, just not feeling very well. And when you think when you think about that type of stuff, mate, it's collision sport. It's, if you get hit in the wrong wrong spot, yeah, it's go, you're going to pay. Yeah, well, that, yeah, exactly that, exactly that. I oh, know I've, I've seen a few of those type of injuries before. Yeah, Have can. I told you that story about Ray Sifu? Have I got time for a story? Well, tell us a Ray Sifu story <laughs> another time. Can Kenards change your life? No, but can they make your job easy? Kenards, they can. Kenards.co.nz. When we come back, we're going to talk health and wellbeing. It's 14 away from 8 here on SENZ. Keep your texts rolling through on double eight double three double eight double three, And uh, we are looking for options for Kempi's kicker. This one's just come through from Joe. Uh, tune, in, tune in sports fan. Uh, uh, the Invercargill Harness Race 2. One for Kempi's kicker is an option. Uh, and this uh, has come through from Marshy to Hawks Bay. Morena, boys. I watched the final of the Pacific Games Rugby League Nines last night. Samoa versus Fiji. Samoa won, and at the end of the game, there was a big punch-up. One of the Samoan supporters ran in, and King hit a Fijian player twice. Not a good look as they try and <laughs> clean the game up. No, there's, it's never a good look when uh, when people come in from the sideline uh, and there's a game and there's a game going on. It's uh, yeah, pretty pretty average um, if you're a supporter and you have to jump on jump on the field and, and hit a player. Uh, I witnessed that actually talking about that. I witnessed that as a, a third former mm. our third form rugby team and a and a brother of a player that we we're playing against ran on and dragged our number eight off the pitch. Oh, really? And he was an adult. And we were. We were kids, and but the player that got dragged off the field, his father was the coach of the other team, which was on the other field. Right. So one of the players ran down and got Wally, and Wally come on and tell the guy up. 
and say, what are you doing touching the kids? Like, it's like, stay off the field. It's a sport. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what happens. So um, no need to take it in your own hands. No, not at all. Uh, our uh, our next guest has uh, our next guest has just arrived. Actually, uh, Daniel Amosa uh, has just wandered into the studio. Sorry, Daniel, we, we thought we were getting you on the phone, so we were, we were sitting here ringing you up. But uh, Robbie said huh, Daniel's at the door, so he's gone and let you in. Daniel Amosa, uh, welcome to the show, bro, and uh, thanks for coming in and and, and seeing us face to face. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a bit <laughs> of a it is. It was a bit of a let's get let's get this thing going, mate. You've got your. Let's talk a little bit about it, Dan. You know, like this this well being space that you got, and we spoke about it. Oh, I think about this time last year at Karaka when because uh, your father in law is uh, Russell Warwick, Warwick, who's yeah. the um, Westbury Stud CEO, and you've come back and you know after your fitness career and, and decided to put this well being. I've looked at it on online type facility together that actually looks after with a Pacific influence over it? Yeah, so we've, we've basically we've we've pulled everything together that uh, a person might need, want and need for their well-being. And our well-being obviously at the moment is um, fragmented. Like the, the, the fitness industry itself is like divided into little camps. Like you've got your boutique people, um, your wellness people, and then all sorts of other, th- other things. But yeah, the Pacific side of it is um... What can I say? It's it's relational. So there's a, we've got a, a, a three-legged um, framework, our Pacific framework called Tafatolu, um, which, which was inspired by um, Tao Māori's um, Te Whare Tapawha um, framework. So I sat down with Dad and I said, well, how, what, what, what is it that uh, in, in the Pacifica um, side that um, that we can actually bring into and, and, and make it so that people can relate to it. So one of the sides is called Leva, which in our culture across Polynesia uh, speaks to um, a sacred or something tapu between between spaces. Mm. And so we're taking that and we've applied that into into our into our framework. Um, what's tapu? Our relationships with other people, other things, our relationship with food, our relationships with ourselves. Um, and so. What we want to do is is kind of bring that into the in, into the space. So it's not just about the physical. It's um, a lot of times people will fall off the wagon. You know, you get your yo-yo dieters and that sort of stuff. It's not it's not because the program doesn't work. It's because we're we need to be fixed or we need to address something within ourselves. Daniel, on that you talk about obviously we hear wellness a lot. You know, and, and generally that tends to talk to mental wellness or mental well-being. We know that. Um, physical well-being and physical fitness can help you mentally in terms of releasing stress and things. But what about the other way around? I mean, if you get your head right, does that help you physically? I think it's, it's, it's we are a whole being, and part of that is the, the 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 fitness, the physical side, which is super important. But on we should be giving the same weight on the mental health and well-being side because it feeds into each other. Yeah, and how have you like since you've opened? How have you sort of connected like corporate minds to? this way of thinking because when you're talking about we've got the space it's either you know I'm a quick fix I want to lose some weight I want to go to the gym I want to get a holistic you know well-being um, session it's all to do with I'm, well I've got to go to work so how have you connected it to say well hang on this actually can help your your work environment your just not only your physical environment yeah well at the end of the day we're all people right mm. um, and as people we have um, our own I guess history with 
our own relationships with with you know in the past that that is that has kept us here. So our focus is on 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 the person, uh, and as a person, you will do this or you you'll do that and that sort of side. So we we connect um on with you as a person. So what do you need? Um, okay, so we. The, the the biggest thing that we um, can connect with is like the weight loss. Now we've been told like for years that weight loss is um, you shouldn't just focus on that. But for us, it's the easiest metric that we can that mm. we can focus on. But it's, being the first domino for a lot of things, it has a trickle on effect to everything else. And so if we can focus on that, um, we'll tick that off, and then we can you know. Start layering down. Start to start to yeah, unpeel the layers. Unpeel eh? the layers. Unpeel yeah. the layers. How do we how do we find you? Then, like, if, if we're listening and we want to go, like, let's go and check out So, um, and we want to go and look at your environment, because you've got different areas inside that facility, haven't you? Yeah, we've got different. We've got four different areas, uh, like for the physical side, we've got a, a harmony studio, which we want to ta- tackle um, the mental well-being um, space. Uh, we've got a class called the, you know, Talanoa, which we're bringing into, into the gyms, or into our space anyway, um, that speaks to... That's you know being able to connect. Um, so there's different spaces for different things and needs uh, uh, and what you need you know on a day to day, week to week sort of basis. Yeah. And, and where do we find you? We are at. Uh, I'll give you the, the website. So it's www.soh.co.nz. State of Health. State of S-O-H. Health. Yeah. Um, and we're located at uh, Five Water Street in Grafton. Grafton, nice, yeah, nice right. and central, nice and central. All right, hey, Daniel, listen, thanks very much for coming in. Uh, no doubt Kempi's going to go and shout your coffee now. Uh, it is uh, four away from eight o'clock. We'll be back shortly. We're a couple of minutes away from eight o'clock. Kempi's kicker, keep your texts rolling in for that. Kempi's kicker, this one from John. Uh, Cam Smith and Adam Scott, both to finish top ten at the Aussie PGA. It's been boosted like to four bucks. Like it. Like it? I like it, yep. Four yeah. bucks is good money too. Well, it's over three dollars. Yeah, it's not like Paulie Moata giving you a two dollar twenty shot that finishes ten lengths last. <laughs> yeah, you've got plenty of those, mate. Don't worry, <laughs> plenty of those. Uh, so yeah, keep them rolling through. Uh, we've got uh, plenty of racing options as well. And Dave from Karaka, who uh, hope hope you're uh, at home now, mate, because uh, he was laid up in hospital for a while. He gave us a really good rugby double bet last week that only missed because um, Zebra sco- uh, converted a try in the eighty sixth minute mm. uh, to draw the game. Otherwise, he would have been in the money. So hey, he, six minutes of extra time in rugby. Exactly. So he's given us this one. Northampton and Sale in the English uh, Gallagher Championship, both uh, to win 12 and under. Good luck. Have a great weekend. Yeah, well, Sale are going all right. Yeah. I watched a Sale game last week. Um, they're They're not too bad. Yeah, we'll have a look at that. All right, thanks. Keep them rolling through. Double eight, double three. Time to catch up with the latest in news. Now with Aroha, thanks to Kubota. Kubota's in stock catalogue is out now. Four past eight. Kia ora, good morning and welcome to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast here on SENZ. Coming up this hour, we will unveil the uh, the truth behind the lie for Two Truths, One Lie and give away that Chemist Warehouse Black Friday pack. We'll catch up with Paulie Mawadi from the TAB. We'll do Kempi's kicker as well and we'll hear from Nick Becker, who is the new CEO of the Auckland A-League franchise. Uh, but before all of that, though, we're going to catch up with a... Uh, Footballer they call Flea, Annalie Longo, part of the Wellington Phoenix Liberty A-League side. Uh, good morning, Annalie. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. It's a story, mate. Uh, good to have you on the blower, mate. How's, uh, how's Auckland treated you so far? When did you get in? Or did you get in? Because I know there's been a, a few issues with fog out of Wellington. 
No, we are here. We're uh, staying in town, which is nice. So far, uh, weather's turned it on, sunshine's out. Uh, looking forward to a couple of good trainings and then obviously uh, the game on Saturday. You guys are going so well, Annalie. I've got to say that um, watching you guys, you, know, you coming on and scoring that goal, uh, how's it? How's it been? Like the the culture in that compared to you know last year? Because because you guys seem to have been really firing together this year. Yeah, I think and it's nice as a team, obviously, to pick up you know points and and wins. Um, that cohesiveness is there. So yeah, I think the culture has definitely been building. I think that's kind of down to the foundation of the first two years coming into the league. Mm. Some girls never having played A-League before or any experience at that kind of next professional level. So I think it's a bit of a, a, a time thing and, and development. And um, obviously there's a, a lot of trust and belief in the, in the new coaching staff that have come on. Um, it's a, a very professional environment and um, the way that Paul wants to play is um, very technical and, and lots of touches on the ball and you know you see that creativity and, and lots of passes. So it's enjoyable to play and hopefully, you know, for the crowd, it's enjoyable to watch. And, and so far, it seems to be working for us, which is, has been good. Yeah. How did it feel for you? I mean, you know, last year or last season, you know, you were supposed to be uh, one of the marquee players of, of the team, uh, but your injury put paid to that and they signed Betsy Hassett to cover that. Uh, so to finally, after what, a year and a bit waiting to get on the field and then to score the winner against Brisbane, how, how was that for you personally? Yeah, it was a little bit emotional, I think. I think I'd waited for so long and then unfortunately kind of two days before the opener of the season um, I felt uh, my glute flare up a little bit so I ended up missing that first game of the season. It was again, I was thinking, God, am I ever going to get the opportunity to play for the Phoenix? <laughs> it was like everything was kind of against me but yeah, I waited my turn and um, obviously when Paul said you're going on I was like, oh yeah, here we go, <laughs> this is it and um, yeah, fortunate things kind of went my way and Managed to pick up a nice goal, and of course the three points was the most important. So yeah, it was a nice moment, and um, I guess nice to celebrate with the the yellow fever down the end, and um, yeah, hopefully kind of kick off the campaign well. What do you what do you put it down to, Annalie? Like the the way that you guys are playing, the passes are sticking, the the shots are on point. Um, is it is it purely because of the coaching, or is it uh, that you've got you know talent across the board that that can play a, a hell of a lot better than they have done over the last couple of years? Definitely, mixture. I think the coaching staff have provided a really clear vision for us, uh, so exactly how I guess we want to play, um, and then I guess the, the confidence of the group to be able to kind of believe and execute that. So. I think it's a bit of both. I think also the you know the international imports have come in have, have created a little bit of a new dynamic. So there's internationals in the league now, which is you know I think good for the growth of the game. Uh, and then you've got young players that are coming through that you know have have been working hard in the academy or around New Zealand uh, have come together and you know they're, they're turning up and 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 providing you know some amazing moments so far, some incredible goals uh, and I guess really gelling together. So I think it is a mixture of both, but. Um, Certainly that clear vision has, has definitely helped the team kind of play the style that we want to. You think that the, uh, uh, the the players that we've got coming through now are coming through with better technical skills? I mean, I, I look at, uh, you know, uh, Mickey Foster and Macy Fraser and, and Alyssa Winham as well, um, players that, that have got a touch and a pass and a vision that maybe we, we haven't seen a lot of in the past. Yeah, I think that that's so important. I think, you know, on the, the world stage you have to be so technical uh, and so quick with your decision making. So, yeah, the way that uh, we've set up to play this year, I think I think that's that's the key. Is as we need players that can play, and I think Paul did really well, 
in the off-season signing players that were going to fit, you know, the style of football that he wanted to play. So, yeah, it's exciting at times. Uh, hopefully we can, you know, see these players progress into the Ferns. You've already seen already a couple of call-ups from the Phoenix into the, the Ferns team, and, you know, that's exciting for the future of the football Ferns. How, how are you handling the professionalism uh, of it all, Annalena? You know, like the travel, the, the I guess, eating and eating and sleeping football. What's it been like? It's a challenge, I can tell you that. It's um, every every um, every week we travel, and uh, unfortunately we're the only New Zealand team currently. So every kind of second week we're away and, and travelling some big distances. But I mean that's part of the gig. It, you know, it's it's enjoyable. I think you know for every person that's played football, uh, it was a dream to kind of be professional and and just be able to play football. So. You know, for many of these girls, it's a dream come true being uh, part of the Phoenix and, and hopefully opens more doors to professional clubs around the world as they kind of expand their career. But, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool lifestyle. You get to travel around uh, Australia and New Zealand and, um, you know, do the thing we love and hopefully score some goals and entertain the fans. Well, that's what it's all about, mate. What about the uh, the setup at the Phoenix? I know you spent a bit of time at the Melbourne Victory, who are obviously one of the most established uh, A-League clubs. How, how does it compare? Uh, Wellington Phoenix is fantastic. I mean, if anyone ever gets the opportunity to come out to the NZCA, yes, mm. it's pretty incredible. Um, the facilities there, they have, you know, everything you really could think of in terms of recovery, the training fields, uh, the gym. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing uh, facility. So very, very lucky uh, to be based there. Um, you know, obviously, I really enjoyed my time at, at Melbourne Victory. They have a, a similar setup as well, but it is nice to just be home and to have kind of a setup like that in, in New Zealand is a little bit unheard of. So, um, yeah, we're f- fortunate to have that and definitely making the most of it, especially me. At a little bit older and uh, maybe takes me a little bit longer to recover. The um, facilities have definitely helped that, I can tell you. Uh, sure. I, I bet, mate. I mean, because you, you mentioned your glute flaring up ahead of game one and, and that ruling you out. Um, I, I guess one of the things when you have a major injury like you had with your knee is that for so long you can't use that leg the way you normally would. So you rely on other, other parts of your body or you use your body differently uh, to compensate. And then the knock-on effect is as you recover from your knee injury, other things start to give way. How much of that did you have? Uh, and, and, and how is it all feeling now? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for me, the unfortunate part was, I guess, how quickly the, the World Cup came around with, with recovering from the ACL. It was about eight or nine months I was back playing. So we definitely pushed everything to the limits. And and fortunately, maybe didn't quite tick off all of the boxes. It meant, you know, sometimes you're overusing other muscles, as, as you said. So... Post World Cup, um, I had to take a bit of time and trying to strengthen up everything around the knee uh, to make sure that you know long term, you know, I don't redo something or something else. So it, it was a bit of a challenge, and unfortunately, we didn't quite get the loading right, uh, right leading into that game one. And unfortunately, it, it did happen. A bit of an overuse injury, a bit of an uncommon one, but yeah, it definitely was a sign that it was kind of overloaded. Yeah, trying to over overcompensate for the knee. Yeah, you're fire, well. You're firing at the moment, Annalie, and um, thank God for that. What's it? What's it like hearing about the just the off the pitch? You're hearing about the A League, um, another team coming to New Zealand. You know, you've got this development squad underneath you guys. Soccer seems to be on a real high at the moment after the the Women's World Cup that was down here. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. We said obviously we want to make a big legacy uh, from the Women's World Cup, and I think you've kind of seen that momentum continue. Obviously the Phoenix doing well, I think, helps that. And then you've just had the news of a, a new uh, A-League 
team uh, from Auckland coming into uh, into the competition. So I think it's fantastic for New Zealand football. I think you know it gives more players the opportunity to play professional football. I think yeah, it can only do good things for the country um, and players kind of growing up. I think you look look now as I'm kind of ending my career, and I'm a little bit jealous of now the all the opportunities that <laughs> don't the don't even have, think. But, um, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you some advice. Don't even go there in your mind because it just gets better <laughs> and better for those people younger than us. Okay. Yeah, it is, uh, it's tough to watch, but it, it is nice to see uh, the legacy kind of continuing, and hopefully, um, myself and uh, kind of the group around me have kind of helped kind of bridge those things to to make better for those coming through. Uh, Annalee, Luca Modric is 38 and going to be playing in the Euros at 39 uh, next year. So you've got plenty of time, mate. Don't worry. Just, just, just have to <laughs> slightly reinvent yourself. Too. Just get somebody else to do the running for you. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about the uh, your World Cup experience. Obviously, it wasn't what you wanted it to be, but you were part of the squad. Yitka brought you in, I guess, from, from a cultural point of view and a leadership point of view. Uh, how was that experience? And did that open your eyes to, to post-playing for you and, and what you might want to do? Yeah, it was an incredible experience. I think it was an ultimate roller coaster, I suppose, of the highest of highs and lowest of lows of, of my career. But yeah, it was a fantastic experience to have it here in New Zealand. Um, you know, I had the emotions of winning that game one and, and everything that kind of come with it and then kind of didn't quite put that performance in in, in game two, um, which you come down real quick. But I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm currently completing my coaching badges and um, yeah, I really enjoy the kind of other side of the game administration um, as well. So I think definitely I'll have a future in, in football. And um, yeah, I guess that's the next chapter I'll look forward to. Yeah, good good on you too. Don't let that IP go. What, what do you what do you get up to? Like off, you know, you guys are in Auckland. You have got a couple of days um, relaxing and that. What do the girls get up to? Like, is there is there a guitar, music? What, what is it? PlayStation. <laughs> Um, a bit of a mixture of both, I think. A couple have family here, which is nice. So a couple of catching up with, you know, friends and family when we can. To be fair, we're very, very busy. Um, over the next couple of days, we've got a couple of meet and greets. So if anyone wants to come down to Chemist Warehouse this afternoon at 2.30 at, at St Luke's, we'll be down there as a squad. Um, and, yeah, a couple of promo things going on. Uh, so we are a little bit busy for, for the trip. But yeah, everyone is different in their downtime. Um, I've heard some of the girls have walked PlayStation, so Xbox. <laughs> I'm sure that they'll be on that. Who's a Geordie, um, who's a Geordie Barrett? Oh, yeah. Who's a Geordie Barrett with the Clippers? <laughs> I actually don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> One to find out. out. Yeah, one to find out. Hey, uh, Grace, getting back to the game, uh, this weekend, of course, you've got Perth at uh, Go Media Stadium, Mount Smith. Uh, they've got one Grace Jarley running around up front for them, and she's scored a hatful already this season. A bit of a one that got away. She was a Phoenix player in season one. Uh, has there been much chat about how you stop her? Just chop the ankles, I've heard. No. <laughs> 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 uh, get them get quickly. In the no, tunnel. Um, in the tunnel when the ref can't see. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, she's a quality player, and um, I'm sure the Phoenix were were gutted to, to lose her. But um, yeah, I think for, for us, we've we've said straight straight away we want to concentrate on us on the style of football we've played. So I think if we have the ball and we can control the the game and the tempo of the game, then you can limit the opportunities the opposition have. So we're focusing on us, um, and we haven't spoken too much about Perth. But yeah, she's a quality player, and she's definitely won our. Um, 
yeah, our squad's going to have to get around quickly and, and be aware of. She scored some some nice goals already, and yeah, we definitely have to be aware of her. Yeah, uh, to to use the uh, the the athlete uh, phrase, uh, learnings. Uh, what were, <laughs> what were you guys learnings uh, from the Central Coast game? Because I think most people this side after three wins on the bounce thought that you'd get that done. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was very good for us uh, in the, the long scheme of things. I think it was a very good learning, as you say. Um, I think we didn't turn up physically and we kind of didn't uh, earn the right to play. So I think uh, tactically they matched us up really well. They were really aggressive. They were really kind of on the front foot and didn't let us kind of get the momentum and, and rhythm that we want to play. So um, for us, it's tactically changing a, a few things if, if teams are going to come on and press. But um, I think also we just have to win that fight uh, and earn that kind of ability to play. So, yeah, we're going to have to get sometimes a little bit tougher and, and stronger on the ball so we can keep possession better. Nice work, mate. Well, best of luck uh, on Saturday against Perth Glory. I will be there at Go Media Stadium, so we'll see you there, and uh, hopefully we can see you bang one in from 30 yards, eh? I'll take that, or just a tap in. Yeah, we'll just do. any, any of them, or. so long as we get the three points. <laughs> yep. Good stuff, Annalie. Go well, mate. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your stay in Auckland, eh? Appreciate that. Thank you. Cheers. Annalie Longo there with us out of the Liberty A-League Wellington Phoenix. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. 823-8833 is the temper bedpost text machine. Plenty of texts coming through for Kempe's kicker and for two truths, one lie as well. Yeah, two truths, one lie. The name of the game is that we each say a statement, the three of us. Two of us are telling the truth, one of us is telling a lie. You have to pick which it is. There's all to celebrate the Chemist Warehouse Black Friday sale. We've got balanced protein prize packs valued at over 150 bucks to give away all this week. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance. Okay, uh, I'm going to go first. My... Uh, statement is that uh, after playing football all my uh, all my childhood from when I was five right through to when I was about 16, 17, I decided to uh, uh, quit playing club football and go and play club rugby league and I played alongside Jerry Siusi, former, uh, he went on to become a warrior and a Kiwi. Kempi, what's yours? You'd look good in the front row too, next to Jerry Siusi. <laughs> well I would now, back, back then mate I was a fleet footed winger fullback if you believe it. Mate, mine is like, you know... I was Taranaki Marbles champ. Like, mm. just used to towel kids up and take all their marbles off and they used to have them in pencil cases. How come. old were you then? Uh, so I was still at primary. Oh, I was okay. standard three, standard two, standard three, standard four. Yeah. Um, had bucket loads of marbles, mate. Bucket loads. Bucket I mean, loads like, of pencil cases full of them. Yeah. Boys used to cry. They come to my school. It was like, where is he? On a come and get his marbles. I used to come and get him. Come and get him. If and you can. clean them out. Clean them out. All right. And Robbie, what about uh, you? Where is he? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll go. Yeah, my my story this morning was um, uh, when I was younger, I went headfirst into a cabinet, um, split my forehead open, had to get nine stitches, and now I've got a Harry Potter like scar. Did the nine stitches take you to platform nine and three quarters? Okay, right. Yeah, we're going to keep going. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, someone, someone, tell me who's lying. Uh, well, actually, uh, Marshy is our winner today, and uh, this is what Marshy has said. Kempi, you'd be too bloody busy at footy training to play marbles. <laughs> Taking the piss. Uh, so, Marshy, bang on, yes. Kempi, 
you weren't the Taranaki Marbles champion. Uh, yeah, well, I wasn't the Taranaki Marbles champion. I was a Fitzroy Primary School Marbles champion. So I actually did play marbles um, and did have pencil cases full of marbles, but I didn't take them to any other schools, uh, which is a little bit of a lie. Um, but if you did come to Fitzroy and and you were at your what are your morning tea and lunchtime break, you often saw me there taking marbles off kids. All right, okay. Uh, so that is uh, two truths, one lie. Congratulations uh, to Marsha. We'll get you out that Balance Protein Prize Pack valued at over $150. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and their friends at Balance. I wish we did Kempi's kicker now, Kempi. Have, have you decided what you're going to go with? I, I've got a late I've got a late winner. Oh, you've I, got a late winner? I've got a late winner, and okay. I quite like it. No oh. surprise for my Kempi's kicker. The cheetah, Tyreek Hill, to get 50-plus receiving yards at each half, I think is a really good bet. $7.50 up in New York against the Jets on Saturday morning and that's from Uncle Brett um, who unfortunately won't be in the, the Super Bowl this year with the Dolphins because it's going to be a repeat between Philly and the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay so you're going uh, for Tyreek Hill to get 50 plus receiving yards in each half at $7.50 against the Jets. Well the Jets yeah, haven't been great have they particularly since they lost Aaron Rodgers so I don't mind that, don't mind that bet at all. Uh, I'm going to take one that came through early from Barry. Uh, a football game, uh, Tottenham versus Aston Villa in the Premier League this weekend. Tottenham have got a few injuries and a few suspensions to deal with. Villa are on a bit of a tear at the moment. It, the game is in London, though, at Spurs' new stadium, and the draw is paying three seventy five. I really like that. So We're, we're that talking one. about 20-plus for that, aren't we, Rob? Yeah, I've chucked it in. Uh, $50 bonus bet, uh, courtesy of the TAB. $50, uh, $1,356 potential return. Wow. Wow, there you go. Loving that. Come on, Tori. If, if that comes in, we'll split it with you. Okay, so Barry <laughs> and Brady will get half each. If that comes in, uh, keep your ticks rolling through for us too on double eight double three because there's been a uh, quite a few options come through uh, from the racing point of view as well. We often get racing uh, tips come through, Kempi, and um, there's uh, one from Cam who, to be fair, uh, his his tips he's yesterday a, for Invercargill weren't great, but he's on a three peat, isn't he? He is, but he has said this one: <laughs> Pookie today, race five, number one, Babylon Berlin for the win. And race number eight, good horse. Aquacade for the win. Uh, Two very good it's, horses. It's short odds, but it should be good. Uh, pays three seventy eight combined. Yeah. Uh, so that's on Saturday, race one. Um, Babylon Berlin is a very good horse. So, but mm, does it get the job done? Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Aquacade. Well, we should have backed that last time. That was a, that was a good bet. Uh, Yep, I like it. I think Cam could redeem himself with those two bets. All right, and then this one's come through from Richard. He, I don't know what where this race is because he hasn't said where the meeting is. Um, but race seven, number twelve, Slipper Island, three dollars eighty a place. Good horse, not suited last start to track conditions. Pike the trainer and Nabba on board. Okay, so that's at Pukio as well on Saturday, race seven. Um, it's a very like there's some good horses in that race. He's got uh, Slipper Island's not a bad. Um, a bad horse, uh, Pike Pikey McNabber on it. He, he's talking top four, isn't he? Uh, well, he said a place. Yeah. Look, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna back that back at top four, it's paying. Oh, okay. Top four. It's, it looks like it's paying at the moment three dollars eighty. Well, top four. Well, he did say three eighty. Top three uh, for for a place. So maybe he means top four. 
top four. Yeah. Yeah. So that that looks like uh, not a bad uh, not a bad option. And Dean in New Plymouth has said, Kempe, you are lying. Talking about your Taranaki Marbles Championship. He says no Taranaki chance for Marbles. And your mate Alan S just sold a horse yesterday for five hundred and fifty k. Oh, I tell you what, he'd take that back too. He'd take he'd take Lucky Swinnes back tomorrow because he sold that for a lot less and it's gone over there and won everything um, overseas and he's. Sold that half-brother at the Ready to Runs yesterday. I'm going to give Al a call because I knew it was going and it's gone for plenty. 550k in the kicker. Wow. Yep. There you go. There you go. All right. And not only that, Rick, but he's he, he's he's still breeding them. Yeah? Still he's still going? breeding them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, one to keep an eye on. We'll, uh, we're going to catch up with him tomorrow, aren't we? Tomorrow. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk to the Sheik about that. Uh, and this one has come through. No name on it. Hey, Kempi, what were the name of the marbles? We used to play, and I can't remember, was it Cat's Eyes? Cat's Tints? Eyes, yep. I remember Steelies when they came Steelies. in. Steelies. It was just people whose overs, dad worked. It used to be overs and unders. Steelies was just guys whose dad worked at the Paul Bearing Factory, I figured out later on. The steel, the steel, <laughs> the steel ones were actually sought after. Mm, they were. Yeah. The Cat's Eyes used to break. Mm, especially you know, when they got hit by Steely. The, like, if you played marbles properly, you, you had a flick on them, you know, so you could flick them and you could yep. bounce them off the, the gutters. Um, but you were actually allowed to pick it up and throw it. So you, were, if you were going to, you used to nominate which one you hit. So how it works is you, you threw one marble out, and then you you sort of competed for that marble with your best marble. Mm. But if you lost your best marble, you could actually throw another one out. And in, in the end, you're playing for like two or three marbles at a time. So what you're telling me is you lost your marbles years ago. <laughs> That's what you're telling me. No, I picked up everyone else's marbles. You picked up everyone else's marbles. I remember when I first went to that school, I never ever had a marble. And uh, ended up with bucket loads of them. Oh, there you go. Well, we'll have to find... Paul Mawadi strikes me as a bloke who would have been a marble champion in his day. We'll catch up with him after the latest in news from Araha. Thanks to Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. 27 away from nine, Paulie Mawadi joins us from the TAB. Check out the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz at BetSafely R18. And uh, how did V12 go yesterday, mate? Just just like uh, (laughs) Kempi's kicker, just kick kick me for touch. I think it it threw a rod. (laughs) (laughs) That's what a V8's meant to sound like. V12's meant to sound 10 times louder than that, and your one still hasn't kicked over, mate. No starter motor on that bugger. Hey, Paulie, what about, did you spend 550k yesterday? On that that lucky Swinnes cult? No, no. I wish I had. Um, I think they've got a good one there. In fact, it was a uh, very, very good day overall uh, at the sale, so yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm sure that uh, you and Al Sharrock have uh, <laughs> had your eyes on a few things there, uh, Kempi, and it'll t- be very interesting. He told me he told me that he was taking taking one up to the ready to run, so he'd be over the moon. Um, yeah, about time he shouted a coffee too, Al Sher- Al Sheik Sharrock. He's coming on tomorrow. There's races in New Plymouth. Uh, Paulie, you taking any early money anywhere? Yeah, well, I thought we'd have a look at the uh, harness uh, racing today because we've got a meeting at Invercargill and a meeting at Palmerston North, uh, and we've got a bonus back promotion on the first two races at the Palmerston North uh, harness meeting today. So um, I'm not going to tip anything out uh, after what happened yesterday. I've given myself a serious reprimand. I'm going back to the drawing board. I'm going to improve and I'll come back next week with something good. But um, I know our, our good friend, uh, Matt Markham, 
has uh, cast his eye over the uh, field at uh, Palmerston North Harness today. And um, seeing as we've got a bonus back promotion on the first two races, I, I thought I might just let you know what he thinks of race two. And he really does look like the look of number five, Boys Invasion. Mm. Too big, too strong here on day one. Uh, and uh, to make it back-to-back victories, uh, he's in the zone at the moment. And uh, clearly when he's in that mood, he's a very dangerous prospect. So Matt Markham really does like the look of the favourite in race two. I know he's fairly short. Um, what, a dollar sixty, $1.65, $1.65 at the moment. But um, uh, don't follow me, follow Matt Markham. Yeah, does does uh, let's? I'm going to say you're not going to get rich on that at a dollar sixty five. But I guess when you're running like ten links last year, you got to go right to that next best thing, which is a favourite at dollar sixty five. Paulie, thank you very much uh, for that tip. About what about what about Tyreek Hill? Does he get fifty plus receiving yards um, for New York against the Jets? No, against uh, for the Chiefs. Uh, for the, the yeah, for the Cheetahs against the Jets. Um. Isn't he under a wee bit of an injury cloud? He took a wee bit of a knock last week. I don't know. Um, Once again, I'm staying well away from this. You guys are just setting me up here. I know that. Um, So I'll I'll leave leave that sort of stuff to you. What I do know is um, we've got the Australian PGA Championship uh, starting later on today, and there are a number of Kiwis in the field, um, led by Daniel Hillier, who's been plying his trade on the DP World Tour and looking very, very good. He's at $36 to win the Australian PGA Championship, uh, which will be played at the Royal Queensland Golf Course uh, over the next four days. Uh, There's also Kazuma Kabori, who was right in the mix last week at the uh, Victorian Open. Uh, He's at $101. He had a six-shot lead heading into the final day uh, last week in the Victoria Open, and unfortunately, uh, things didn't quite go uh, good for him on that final day. He finished in third place, but he is uh, very much in the early stages of his professional career and looks like a very, very good prospect, possibly for a top 10 here at the Australian PGA. If we look at the top of the market, though, Cam Smith, uh, a major winner, uh, he's the favourite at $5. In fact, there are a number of Australians at the top of this market. Min Woo Lee, who's coming off a victory in, I think it was Macau last month. He's at $8. Uh, Cam Davis is at 11 Adam Scott, former Masters champion, is at $13. Mark Leishman at $21. Uh, Bobby McIntyre, who was part of that uh, Ryder Cup, uh, the European team, uh, the, six, the victorious European team, is at $24. So this is... Uh, a fairly um, strong field, um, but there are a number of Kiwis in there, and the boys have put out a boosted market on any Kiwi to win, uh, boosted from 17 out to $20, which has been picked up by a lot of patriotic Kiwis already. I was going to say, Sam Jones is in the field as well, isn't he? He's paying 201 and he's just come off the DP qualifying school. He finished seventh. Uh, we talked to him earlier in the week, Paulie. He had to play... Uh, you know, normally a uh, tournament's four rounds. Uh, for the final yep. lot of qualifying, it was six rounds, and he shot 22 under. So he's in form, played a lot of golf. I wouldn't mind looking at him for maybe a top 10, top 20. Yeah, I don't mind the way you're looking, uh, Ricardo. Yeah, as you say, 
he'll come in um, fit as a fiddle after playing that many rounds in a very short space of time. I just looked in at a few others. Jonathan Vegas, who's, uh, of course, one on the PGA Tour. He's at $67. Eddie Pepperell, uh, who is one of the most active golfers on social media. Uh, he's at $71. Um, so there's a very, very strong look to this uh, field in the Australian PGA. Um, uh, I see another boosted market that the boys have put out. Cam Smith and Adam Scott, both to finish in the top 10, boosted from threes out to fours. So Cam Smith, of course, a Brisbane boy, so uh, he'll feel right at home at the Royal Queensland Golf Course. And I can tell you, he has been, uh, he has seen quite a lot of support as the favourite at $5 to win the tournament. Nice, nice. So I just had a look. You get Sam Jones for 10 bucks, top 20. That's not, that's not bad coin. That's not bad coin. What, what else, Paulie? Uh, NBA, NFL, anything else grabbing your attention? Um, yeah, what have we got uh, tomorrow? We've got, uh, oh, of course, it's Thanksgiving. So we've got a number of games tomorrow uh, in terms of the NFL. Uh, early tomorrow morning, the Detroit Lions take on the Green Bay Packers. The Lions are seven-and-a-half-point favourites there. Uh, the Cowboys taking on the Commanders. Uh, Cowboys, 12-and-a-half-point favourites there, but you'd have to think uh, the way that Dak Prescott and, of course, that Dallas Cowboys defence has been going, they should be way too strong for the Commanders, and that's where the money has been going uh, early doors. Cowboys uh, to win, and to win quite handsomely. And then in the afternoon tomorrow, the Seahawks taking on the 49ers. Uh, 49ers, seven-point favourites there. And they are very, very popular with punters as well. They had a couple of injuries, uh, the 49ers, after the last round, didn't they? Yeah, they, they certainly did. However, they've uh, got enough depth in that squad, I think, to take care of the Seattle Seahawks, who have sort of, I think, performed, I guess, above expectations so far uh, this early in the season. Yeah. Um, but the 49ers, I think, yeah, they just have so many, uh, I guess, weapons. Uh, it's very, very hard to cover them. So, yep, 49ers have been back minus seven, as have the Cowboys minus 12 and a half. Good stuff, Paulie. Go well, mate. Uh, are you on a course tomorrow? I am, but I'm working. Oh, no. I'm, How did that happen? I'm, I'm working uh, charity You're working day. on that handicap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to take my trying to take money off trainers and owners tomorrow uh, for charity. So we'll see how we go. Good luck, Paulie. Good luck. Uh, Paul Mohani there with us for the TAB. Check out all the odds, promos and boosted odds on the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz. Bet safely, R18. It is 13 away from nine here on Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Double eight, double three is the text line. Now, uh, a lot of talk this week around the Australian uh, A-League uh, giving another franchise licence to New Zealand. It's going to be based out of Auckland. Bill Foley, the owner of AFC Bournemouth and the Vegas Golden Knights, is the owner. They did unveil the other day their new CEO. He's former head of marketing for Melbourne City, who are part of the Manchester City group. His name is Nick Becker. He's a Kiwi. He's been away from New Zealand for a while, but he is back to take this role, and I caught up with him. Nick, welcome. I think it's back to New Zealand, isn't it, mate? A new yeah. new role, CEO of the new, whatever it's going to be called, Auckland A-League Club? Yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's, it's really exciting to be back home. Um, it's been 20 years since I've lived here, so... Yeah, this time I left um, in my mid twenties. This time I'm returning in um, my mid forties, unfortunately, with uh, with a couple of kids as well. <laughs> yeah, so, so you, you bring your own team with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, are you still strapping on the boots, Nick? Uh, uh, do you need a club? Do you need us to find you a club while you're here? I mean, 
I wouldn't say my, I, I think my career off the field has been a little bit more successful than on the field. Um, I wouldn't say it was very good, to be honest, you know, so, <laughs> so yeah, but thank you. I, what, what I will be is, is sidelined and, and watching a lot of, uh, a lot of local football in yeah. the next sort of, you know, in the season when it starts and, and over the next sort of 10 months before we start our team. You got a lot of work to do. Ten months isn't a lot of time. You got backroom staff. You got players. You got coaches. You got the whole lot. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty much nose to the grindstone from here for the next ten. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. You're right. There's a huge amount that needs to be done, and and I think the key thing right now is to is to get the right people at the start, and, and I think we've done that with we've hired a great commercial um, manager who got announced, a guy called Mike Higgins, um, and we're talking at the moment with a few football directors, um, and and ultimately, uh, and I hope to be a football coach, yeah. uh, head coach before Christmas. We'll be able to announce those, um, and we get that set up right. You know, they'll start rec- recruiting players. We'll start finding facilities, um, and then we'll start getting getting people involved. Both from the community side, and then and then looking for our commercial partners as well. Do you do you need a media guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, one hundred percent. Everyone needs a media guy, right? Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Uh, now, what about the relationship with the other clubs that Bill owns, like Lorient, uh, AFC Bournemouth? Oh, is it in the plans? Is it being talked about that it might be something we see a Matt Ritchie coming to the towards the end of his Premier League career down here, a couple of kids out of the academy, that sort of thing? A- absolutely. I, I mean, you know, the, the plan ultimately is to, to with the multi-club model, um, is to be able to sort of develop talent locally here. Um, first of all, get them into our academy, get them into playing A-League and a professional football down here and then see where they can go, right? Um, I've done that previously when I was at uh, Melbourne City and, and we've got a lot of players um, who move from there and into the European leagues and I yeah. think we can replicate the same thing here with New Zealand talent, 100%. Yeah, no, and it would be, be fantastic to see that happen. Uh, can you give us a timeline of when we might hear a name, a kit, uh, a coach, that sort of thing? Um, well, as I said before, we, we want to be able to announce our, our football director and coach Really quickly, you know, we yeah. get, we we can start talking to um, to players in January who are, who are coming out of contract, and, and and so we've got to get on to that, and, and so that's that is a real priority for us, and we hope to be able to talk about that this side of Christmas. Um, with the other stuff, it's it's important for us to get out there and, and into the community and talk to people about what they think. I mean, look, you know as well as I, I you can never please everyone, yeah. um, and and I think if you asked. A thousand people. What the name, name should be? Probably get a thousand different names, right? Yeah. Um, and we've got a we've got a land on one that works for us. Works for us as a club. Works for us as as who we want to be. And and um, and and you know, like the name is the name is important. So is the the brand. But a football club's made up of so many other people. Things. It's made up of the people who are there. It's made up of the culture that you have within the club, within the dressing room. Um, you know, it's made up of, of of your actions and what you do when you're out in the community and that sort of thing. And that's who we want to be. And that's what we want to be known as. Do you think there's room to put it out there effectively? I remember when the Warriors started, right? They actually put it out there and said, send us your names. And then they shortlisted it and did a public vote. Whether or not that public vote was legitimately voted on or not, is that something you'd like to replicate? Oh, look, it's, it's, a, it's a route that many sports teams have gone down and, 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 it, and it kind of, you know, like it, it is an option, right? But, but I think for us, we might not have the time. You know, that, yeah. that, that kind of mass public consultation um, process is probably quite tricky. What we do is, is we want to talk to sort of key stakeholders in the game and, and in Auckland and, and kind of like you know, gather in their, their thoughts and their, their feedback and then, and then move forward from there. Yeah. Fantastic, Nick. Hey, listen, I know you've got a lot of work good to do. Me. Appreciate good your time. You. Thanks yeah, very yeah, much yeah. and good yeah. luck with it. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Good to meet you. It's there you go, Nick Becker, the uh, new CEO of the Auckland A League franchise. Uh, needs a, lot a new work me- to do, needs mate. a new media manager. Yeah, I did, well, you know, <laughs> I did. Uh, I did drop that in there. I did drop that in there, Kempi. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how great. that goes. It'd be great, honestly. Um, 
anyone that look, is looking for a football media manager, hit Rick Dog up, man, because he will be absolutely great at it. He knows all his football stuff inside out. Yeah, well, thank you, Kempe. I'll, I'll take. I'll put you down as a reference. Hundred percent. Okay, done, done. Uh, it is uh, seven away from nine. When we come back, we'll catch up with Daniel McCarty. It is a couple of minutes away from nine o'clock. Daniel McCarty in the hot seat to run Smithy's show for him. Uh, when do we start calling it your show, McCarty? Because Smithy's been away for a very long time. Always oh, back on Monday, mate. So call it call it my show on Monday. See how that goes. Snakey, snakey show, Monday. (laughs) Mate, what do you got coming up today? Well, my head's just exploding uh, at reports overnight that John Rahm, the number three ranked golfer in the world, might be heading off to live. And and why why my head's really? I just read a line. I just read one line that said he could be offered uh, well in excess of the 300 million pounds he was tempted with originally that he turned down. Um. So significantly more than three hundred million pounds. Wow! wow. I guess everybody. That, everybody that's how, do we get, how do we get on that plane? <laughs> it's a bit late for us, Kimpy. <laughs> I think that is mental, Seriously. though, um, Snake. Because I thought that the PGA and Live now that the uh, Saudis, had, you know, I thought I thought basically Live was just going to die a slow death. Uh, I'm with you, mate. I'm baffled. It's just one of the reasons why I'm just so confused. I, I thought some sort of peace deal had been uh, made, but uh, let, let's hope. Well, uh, well, jo- John Rahm's accountant won't think this way, but uh, let's hope this, uh, these reports are wide of the mark. This is a guy who I guess had been considered a bit of a crown jewel in the PGA. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a real historian of the game, like ma- massive historian. So I, I thought he wouldn't cross the divide, but, man, 300 million quid plus. Substantially Isn't above it funny? That. Isn't it funny, eh, Snakey, what money does to people? It does, mate. It, it does. does. It does, yeah. Oh, I, I hear you've become a rugby league lobbyist, Kempi. You've been working <laughs> the phone trying to get everyone on board, mate. Let me, let me oh, guess. Bet, let bet. me guess. You haven't made one phone call. <laughs> Apparently, no. I haven't made one phone call dead right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, what else have you got what coming up, Snakey? Well, I think I'll go to bat for, uh, for Kempe in just a moment or two. We're going to talk uh, domestic cricket. The uh, one-day competition starts defending champ Central Districts. We'll catch up with Dane Cleaver and one David Dome for the Wellington Phoenix, their general manager, to join the show in about six or seven minutes. Interesting times in the A-League for sure. Indeed. All right, go well. Have a great show.